What's up, Pool Chasers? Welcome to episode 27 of the Pool Chasers podcast. In this episode, we interview the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Greg Garrett, also known on Instagram Live as the goodwill hunting of the pool industry, as someone commented. <laughs> Mr. Greg Garrett is the owner of Applied Material Technologies. He is also the formal technical services director of the MPC. He has now ventured into starting a new education program called the Pool Chemistry Training Institute with his partner, Bob Lowry. He and Bob have developed a core class called the Pool Chemistry Certified Residential, otherwise known as the PCC-R. This is a great new thing that they have started to help educate the industry, wanted to help bring it to light through this podcast. Also, we learned so much with him and we've already gotten so many comments with excitement from the Pool Chasers community on Instagram and Facebook and other forms of social media we've posted. So we know you all are excited and we can't wait to share it with you guys. So we hope you guys will learn as much as we did. I've always been a, a voracious reader and I would just try to read everything I could. And they there just wasn't a whole lot of books and I would go to as many classes as I could, but there, it was almost like limited information and what information was available. In some cases, you were fighting what I would call old doctrine or old beliefs. And so that was all, that's been a challenge even to this day. Welcome to your go-to podcast for the pool and spa industry. My name is Tyler Rasmussen. And my name is Greg Viafania. And this is the Pool Chasers Podcast. Thanks for joining us today, Greg. Appreciate you being here. You know, we've heard a lot about you for a long time, and you finally had the opportunity to attend one of your classes at the Pentair Train this year. It was a really good class. really enjoyed it. So thank you so much for being here today. You're welcome. Cool. Let's get started on it then. So you have a very impressive resume, which we've discussed a little bit already. Can you please introduce yourself to our listeners and what you do exactly? Sure. I'm Greg Garrett. I'm the owner of Applied Materials Technologies and co-owner of a company called Pool Chemistry Training Institute. Um, I have been in the business since 1969, been in a variety of different capacities, had different jobs over time, but except for three years in the United States Army, it's the only job I've ever had my whole life, so almost about 50 years in the business. Nice. Well, thank you for your service. What uh, what did you do in the Army? Uh, I, was in the, I was in the U.S. Army. I went to basic training at Fort Knox. Uh, Kentucky, and then I went to Airborne Ranger School and was assigned to the uh, 101st Airborne Division and served with them, and then was also uh, got assigned overseas to Korea. And so I only had, I was only in for three years and then went right back to the swimming pool industry. <laughs> so it was like my break from the swimming pool industry. Oh, wow. That's, that's crazy. My grandfather was a POW in Korea, in the Korean War. Um, I know that was way before that time, but right. um, it's a pretty crazy time. Did the being in the military and the army must have taught you an insane amount of discipline that you would need for you know what was to come? I was a I was a pretty wild man uh, in my <laughs> college days, and the army definitely straightened me out and settled me down and taught me to get focus, and it it showed you what's important and. So when I got out of the military, I was happy to uh, go back to civilian life and to go back into the swimming pool industry. My father was a pool builder in a place called Sierra Vista, Arizona, and owned a company called Patio Pools of Sierra Vista. So really, I've only had, in essence, two jobs my whole life, the swimming pool industry and three years in the United States Army. 
and that's it. But I enjoy the pool industry. Uh, it's been very good to me and my family, and I enjoy what I do in the industry to help people. Nice. Well, we definitely want to talk more about the beginning, early years of when you started with your dad. But maybe you can just tell our listeners real quick what it is that you know you do right now, what you've been doing um, with the MPC over the past. Right. Well, most people, a lot of people know me as um, I just recently, September 30th, uh, was my last day as the Director of Technical Services for the National Plaster Council. National Plaster Council being a trade organization whose primary focus is on education and advocacy of the plastering industry in the United States. And it's a nationwide trade group, over 500 members, East Coast to West Coast. And my primary function was to address things of a technical nature, like I would handle all the technical calls that would come in. I would also help and assist on various committees, such as the Technical Advisory Committee, the Research Committee. Uh, And my job was to help generate documents as well as things like videos, YouTube videos, that would help people when they did have a problem to being able to figure out cause-effect relationships, number one. And number two, if they did get something, was there something you could do to correct it? Sure. So what exactly is the National Plasters Council? It's, as I said, Nationwide Trade Association, and it's made up of everyone from plasters to manufacturers to service techs to builders, remodelers. It's pretty much open to anyone. And our membership, the fastest growing segment of the National Plaster Council is the service sector, the service servicemen that uh, come and join because they see the benefit in it. And, and usually their first exposure to it is through something like the NPC uh, Startup Certification Program. And I've taught the majority of those classes nationwide for about the last, uh, since 2008. And I personally have certified over a 1,000 people. I just got back from Torrance, California, had a class over there. We had 17 people, and we taught uh, a class there at one of the IPSA, the Independent Pool and Spa Servicemen Association. Uh, Board of Regional Directors was a gentleman named Adam Morley, and he invited us in to give a class to people in his area, and we did. And well-received, 17 people, and not always huge audience, but we don't want huge audience because they get more out of it in smaller groups. So it's a class that teaches people about the do's and don'ts of a proper startup, what are some of the things to learn, teaches people the fundamentals in water chemistry, what to look at when doing startups, things of that nature. Nice. And I'm sure it's much, you guys go much deeper than just startup. There's a lot to do with water chemistry. and We we do teach the fundamentals of chemistry, but a lot of do's and don'ts that people don't understand. Like, for example, on the use of certain types of test kits. But we also introduce people to, to new things in testing. And if you run into an extraordinary problem, uh, and also some of the new technologies that's coming out and that is available. And one of the things in the class, as an example, if you're starting up a new pool, the pH, because of the pH of new plaster is over 12, um, the water in the pool is going to go up, up, up for weeks at a time. So how do you test that? And a lot of people, they don't understand that the limitation of their kit, let's take a kit like a, a tailor. 
uh, K2005, the limitation of that kit is it reads basically from a pH of 7 to 8. Well, if you've got something extraordinary, say a salt pool, and you know it's beyond 8, you either have to use an electronic meter to read that pH, or you have to be aware of specialty kits that can read that high. And so one of the things in the class that we show people is what to do if you have something extraordinary. And in that case, I show them a thing called a K1285-7 midget comparator from Taylor that'll read up to a pH of 9.6. So you can comfortably, with a good sense of accuracy and precision, read up to that level. And so that really tells you, wow, my pH is super high. I've got to take some really strong action to get it back down. You can do an acid demand on your Taylor K2005. So you know, we teach a lot of new techniques that people need to know about, new things. And I think people get a sense of what's new, what are the tools that I can use to make my life easier, especially doing startups and or also as a service technician. Right. And you guys probably go over just kind of how to identify different types of etching and spotting and different things like that that you might see in a pool? We talk about a couple of common issues, and we have a section of the class that deals with common issues. Uh, a lot of them have to do with, let's say you started up a pool and you just turned the pool over to a company, you get a call back. They call you back and say, hey, uh, Greg, Tyler, you guys did the startup wrong on my pool. Uh, you need to come take a look at this and advise me what you're going to do to fix it. And so we would teach people common issues so they can go back and they can look at the pool, how to evaluate it, and then go from there in terms of working with the builder, the remodeler, the consumer, whoever it is, on how to fix the pool. So there's a portion of that. So we do have a portion on water testing. We do have a portion on the day-by-day -day on how to do a startup. We use... Um, our, a thing that we have developed called the uh, startup uh, sheet. And it's literally, I think, of it like uh, those books that have been written about, like computers for dummies. Well, I call that card. It's almost like startup for dummies. And it tells you day one, do this. Day two, do this. Day three, do this. Day four, do this. So it eliminates a lot of the guesswork. And it tells you do this, this, and this, and this. And it's not that it, people don't understand what to do, but it's great to have a written reminder, especially in a laminated card. You can take it poolside with you. It can get wet. You can refer to that card, and on the back of it is a saturation index calculator. Uh, it's on the back side of the card. It's called the Daily Water Chemistry and Maintenance Card, and it will actually tell you you can use that card to help calculate is the water in balance, is it in an etching mode or a scaling mode. So it's a great tool to carry around with you. Yeah. Sounds like a really good class. <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of my most, most popular classes. And it is a certification class, so we have people come to the class, and it's eight hours. And we start out with a little bit of the history of plaster going back in time. What was the plaster like in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, and then all the way up to today. So we show, like, the evolution and services. Also, we show the evolution in trade associations and the evolution in, for example, sanitizers. Uh, from the days when, when I started with my father uh, back in 1969, the primary sanitizers were liquid chlorine and 
calcium hypochlorite. And then in the mid-60s, uh, they introduced stabilized chlorines, trichlorochlorine, sodium dichloro. They came into the market, and then whole new problems began because for the first time ever, we're putting stabilizer in pools. And as opposed to, and so we switched from sort of two base sanitizers, CalHypo, pH 11.7, 11.8 range, liquid chlorine over 12. And all of a sudden now we're using trichlor as an example with a range between 2.8 to 3.0. So we went from base to acidic and also we're introducing large quantities of stabilizer to the water, cyanuric acid. And over time that began to create some problems. So we show people the history of that. We talk about things like salt, uh, salt generators, salt water pools. And we show a little bit of history on all those different things. So history on surfaces, history on sanitizers, histories on materials and the materials that we use. For example, uh, when I started with my father looking at pools, it was white cement principally and white marble sand. Um, and then all of a sudden, 1984, we had color quartz. 3M company came out with color quartz. That was the first introduced introduction of a harder aggregate. Um, in the 50s, they used to use silica sand, but it was discontinued because of problems with it yellowing because of the powerful oxidizers we were using for sanitizers. So, and then we had pebble uh, surfaces originated here in Scottsdale. Uh, with Pebble Technologies back in the uh, late 60, mid 60, 86, 87 time frame. And then that led us to other types of surfaces like natural quartz um, and even glass aggregates. So there has been like an evolution in history and that side of our industry, and we sort of teach that. We teach the types of cement. So the three most common types of cements are called ASTM C150. That's the most popular. Then the second type is ASTM 595. The third type is ASTM C1157 general purpose. So it's three types of cements, and yet they can behave differently with surfaces and create different challenges or issues for people using those cements. So we try to give the student a fundamental understanding of what the materials are that go into making surfaces and what kind of special challenges they may create at startup. Yeah, and that is all extremely important. Um, so we want to jump back quite a bit to kind of get to know you a little bit more. Um, so tell us a little bit about childhood and kind of getting into business with your dad and maybe even why you thought that would be a good idea. You know, if sure. you could just share that with us. Uh, my father was in the military, so he retired as a command sergeant major and went into the pool industry, retired in Fort Worth, out from Fort Huachuca. And so I was an army brat. So I traveled the country. I spent most of my childhood in Europe. And I lived in Germany. I lived in France. So um, coming to the United States was like a real treat for us because we didn't live here most of my youth. So that was kind of an interesting upbringing. So I got to see uh, pretty much all of Europe as a child. How were you? Uh, all the way from when I was very young to... Uh, till I was uh, 12, 13 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah, 12 wow. years old. You speak other languages? Uh, I, I learned German and French. So by the time I was 11 years old, uh, I had a good background. And uh, because I lived there and we lived on what we called the economy. So I would speak French and I would speak German. And 
as a kid. But, you know, growing older, you forget all that stuff. So, But it was real interesting growing up in Europe. And uh, then I came to the United States. My father retired at Fort Huachuca, Arizona, and went right into the pool business. And then the rest is history for us. Because then we started in the pool business. Uh, I worked with my father and also my brother, uh, both of which are deceased. But we got into the pool business. I began to realize I really like this. I really like pools. So, so had your, your sorry, what made your father choose the pool industry? He just got out of the military and then what was looking his? for a job and it was you know, growing up in southern Arizona was a very popular thing. So he first worked for a company called Whitaker Pools and then he worked for the Regal family, Patio Pools out of Tucson and he ran a little branch down there in Sierra Vista and then that turned into ultimately him owning his own sort of franchise, if you will, Patio Pools of Sierra Vista. Oh, wow. So that was my start. So so he so he worked in the storefronts there, learning everything? Yes. Um, my father also had retail stores. So I was a BioGuard baby is what I tell people. I learned <laughs> the BioGuard system as a kid. And then also, so I began to go out and even, I couldn't even legally drive, but I can remember 13 years old, my father would, have a guy who was 16 that could drive, we'd load up and go out and do uh, what we call plaster preps, scraping down pools, getting them ready to do plaster. And then also I would do startups. Uh, and, and they would call into my father. It was hysterical. And they'd call in and go, my father's name was Sam. And they'd say, hey, Sam, you know, I don't mean to be rude, but you got this 13-year-old kid out here trying to tell me, you know, about what, what's going to happen in my pool and about chemistry. <laughs> he goes, I don't mean to be rude, but you get this 13-year-old kid out here. And, you know, I was quite verbose even as a kid. And I would be like going, sir, seriously. And my dad would tell him, you know, he'd go, hey, don't confuse his youthful appearance with what, what my son knows in his head. He's a smart kid. And, you know, he will help you and tell you what you need to know about how to take care of your swimming pool. That's pretty cool of your dad. Uh, he he could have been like, "Dude, shut up." He he knew that <laughs> I liked I liked it and I liked chemistry and so and he let me run with it and so there's this 13 year old kid doing your uh you know your little prep talk about okay how to take care of your pool and these adults would be looking at me going like I can't believe I'm listening to this 13 year old kid telling me about <laughs> how to take care of my pool. That's uh, insane. That is awesome. So you tra- you did that for a while. So you, he had the stores when you were when you were thirteen, right. fourteen. Yes. Okay. So we had retail stores and worked in those. Uh, mainly, I worked in construction with my brother. We did all phase. My dad was old school, uh, and he believed that we should learn every single phase of construction. So, and you know, my dad had a John Deere seven ten B backhoe and. He would put me and my brother, and he taught us how to operate a backhoe so we could dig pools. And, you know, it was like, you know, I couldn't even, it was like that classic line about I couldn't even reach the pedals kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> but, and then taught us plumbing, taught us, uh, and my father was in the Master Pool Guild. And so that was a great asset for us because of the information provided from the Master Pool Guild. And... So 13 years old, I started learning the pool business and working in it every day. Um, and my father was old school. And he, I'll never forget what he said one night. You know, he's looking at the uh, kitchen table at me, and I was knocking down some groceries. 
And he looked at my mom and he looked at me and he goes, you know, I have a saying. I go, what's that saying? He goes, old enough to eat like a man, old enough to work like a man. And he goes, get in, you'll be in my truck at 530 tomorrow. And that's how I started in the pool business. He told me, go get in the truck. And I'm sitting there crying. You know, I go, I was going to play G.I. Joe's with my cousin. You know, he goes, them days are over, son. Go I'll get stop me. eating so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I can see I did, you know. So, uh, I mean, it was, so it was funny. So. That is super funny. So, um, I mean, what kind of student were you? I mean, was there a good balance of working with your dad and going to elementary and middle school? And I was always stuff? a good student. Okay. Always good. Straight A's. Oh, wow. I graduated like fourth out of 400 at, in high school. Oh, wow. I had a full ride scholarship to uh, academic scholarship to Arizona State University. Man, good for so, you. Um, wow, how'd you have time for, for all that schoolwork and working? Um, just squeeze it in. Just, you, you do what you got to do. And it's a family owned business when you have a family. You guys know, I mean, you own a family owned business and, you know, and you do what you have to do. But so uh, that was the start of me in the pool business, you know, 13 years old, going out and doing plaster prep startups, doing anything that dad told us to do that day. So, and did you just do it most on the weekends then, or were you doing uh, after, some after, after some after school? If, if I wasn't involved in uh, football, I played football, but you know, if it wasn't that, then it was you're working and you're working weekends and even in the retail stores or something. And so I took to learning about things like chemicals and chemistry and stuff like that. I wanted to go to all the schools and to learn. And it was a different era back then. Was and that kind of tough then when if your friends were playing on the weekends and stuff and you had to be working in the store? I mean, I would say I had a pretty normal childhood, but, you know, most of the time it was just, and you know, I understood that, you know, part, kind of like my my game, my goal is, you know, it's what we do in our family. We work. And you work and you work hard and you work to take care of your own and to provide a standard of living for your family. And to as my dad used to say, to put groceries on the table, you work. That's what we do. So I always grew up, it was like, you know, uh, and it was just like. Do you think that came from maybe some of the European stuff from that? No, I would think it was in my dad's work ethic personally. Yeah. Uh, uh, him, his time in the military, and it was just something that we did. We grew up, and my brother, I, my sister, uh, it was you work. That's what we do. And you work, and you work in the family business, and family business was the swimming pool industry, and that's what we did. That's really cool. I mean, the pool industry couldn't have been very popular back then even when your dad very like got started in the very beginning um what made him even want to do that swimming pools in arizona are a popular thing because of the heat and so um, even back then even back then um my father was extraordinary he put in and i always used to tell people on the mpc board of directors that I'm the only one that really has a background that include my father used to install held door vinyl liners and my brother and I would trowel in vermiculite or zonalite floors. And so I learned how to do that. I, I learned how to work on vinyl liners. Everything is accumulation. So I, I've got that experience. Uh, my father also installed uh, fiberglass 
we call them boats, but the complete fiberglass pool that would drop into the ground, crane, you dig the hole, you lower it in, you backfill around it, and then you hook up the plumbing and boom. So I actually had experience in fiberglass pools, had experience in vinyl liner pools, and had experience in obviously plaster and shotcrete pools. So did all three, did shotcrete, did plaster, did all that stuff growing up as a kid. Were vinyl liners more popular back then in Arizona? No, they, they vinyl liners do not hold up well in Arizona because of yeah, we the know. intense UV that we get here. <laughs> they just don't last. I mean, you know, back east, they're great. You have a short season. You get a lot of overcast days. When you have as much sunshine as we do in certain places, uh, it just is hard on vinyl liner pools. Uh, they have their place, but I would say they're very difficult to be long-lasting here in the state of Arizona. So it was always pools, 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 learning the difference between vinyl liners, learning the difference between plaster, startups on vinyl liners, startups on that. So what do you background. think What do you think was the most difficult part about learning the industry? Was there certain things about the industry like, you know, there wasn't many books on certain things? Was there something that you were just like kind of confused on at an early age? Right. I was, I've always been a, a voracious reader and I would just try to read everything I could. And they, there just wasn't a whole lot of books and I would go to as many classes as I could, but there, it was almost like limited information and what information was available. In some cases, you were fighting what I would call old doctrine or old beliefs. And so that was all, that's been a challenge even to this day to fight against old myths, old sayings, old habits, whatever. And so we as an industry have come light years, though. Um, from my father, I'll never forget, you know, my father used to give out two-in-one test kits to homeowners. Remember, I'm teaching them how to do startups. And I had been to a school and I said, Dad, what about, you know, alkalinity? What about calcium harness? Shouldn't we give them a four-in-one or a better kit and my dad would go oh, we don't need to get many of that stuff they don't need to know all that and you know and i was sitting there going wait a minute i just went to this school and this is important to understand about alkalinity to understand about calcium hardness to understand all these things and so there was a change in evolution even in my own father convincing him to change and start giving people proper test kits to maintain the pool because when he started it was just two-in-one test kits give them that that's all they need and the world was changing and the world was switching from, uh, you know, calcium hypochlorite, H. My father used to sell a product called HTH by Olin and liquid chlorine. And then uh, three-inch trichlor tabs came and that changed the world. And my father being a BioGuard dealer, BioLab dealer, uh, stingy sticks. So you begin to understand about how things were being impacted by the composition of the chemicals we were using. What are stingy sticks? Stingy sticks are trichlor. And they're just a slow dissolving stick that would work in the skimmer. Oh, okay. But you know that you know you learn basically from the manufacturers that you work with. And my father, being a BioGuard dealer, you know you work with that. And the fact that he was also a master pool uh, builder, um, so you know had a, had this long background. So you learn and you change over times. But then you begin to realize that well, maybe things that are almost institutionalized in our industry, maybe it's time to change them. And people always ask me what I mean when I tell them about we're all institutionalized. 
And it's kind of like we've done things for so long a certain way that we get into this sort of process of this is the way. And then you have to look outside that way sometimes because you realize it's not working. What we're doing is not working. And that's when you sort of buck the system a little bit. So I've always kind of uh, bucked the system, especially when it came to how we take care of pools. Um, because I began to realize like what was said or what was written. For example, uh, the, the new entity that I'm involved with, the Pool Chemistry Training Institute, we realized that the current existing standards uh, may not be always apropos, and, and I'll be more definitive. Uh, we have, like, for example, a, a, an alkalinity range of 60 to 180. 60 to 180. And that is just way too broad. And so the concept by my partner, uh, Bob Lowry, was go to targets. Narrow that focus down so people have an easier time taking care of the pool. And give people simplistic things that they can focus on, do, and not try and, and get overly complicated. And also um, the use of apps. Um, my partner, Bob Lowry, designed probably the, the, the just three apps that are very current and popular in the, in the marketplace, but also just released a brand new one. Uh, one app he designed for the National Plaster Council was called the NPC LSI Calculator. And it's the only one that was based on like the original uh, Wilfrid Langier calculations back in 1936, including uh, the logarithm, square roots to develop the app. But also, we're probably the only app that has a borate function on it. And we'll actually take into consideration what borate does to alkalinity when you have to calculate what's called carbonate alkalinity. So, I'll branch up all into that yeah. later for sure. Yeah. yeah, and I, I want to say something real quick. Have you seen, and I just thought about this, since you very first started in the pool industry and started getting into water chemistry, have you seen kind of an evolution in people as well? Because, I mean, suntan lotion and different things that are on people's body and the way that we build pools and filtration systems and different things like that, it's like it's when you really think about what water is and when you're putting in water, it seems like it's never-ending like there's so many variables and they're they're not going to stop even as the world around us changes and the environment and the weather and different things like that change just seems like there's probably been a lot of change since you first started there, there have been a lot of changes i mean uh we've had made improvements in things like multiple speed pumps more energy efficient uh but we still use the tank we still use sand filters uh de filters and cartridge filters so they've been around forever but we've gotten smarter about ways to maintain water. and But just never forget one thing. Swimmers are swimmers. And if you have swimmers, you have swimmers' waste. And that is perspiration, urine, body oils, hair oils, cosmetics. You cannot change the nature of people and what they do. They, they work, they get sweaty, and then they, you know, they unfortunately, to cool off in hot Arizona, they dive in their pool. And then you got to deal with those issues. Plus, being in Arizona, we have a lot of wind-blown issues, especially during the summer months when we get the hubbobs and that type of thing. Dust blowing into pools, dirt blowing into pools, things of that nature, and that changes the chemistry radically. So, And then also how we sanitize pools. 
you know, salt pools, but boy, we, uh, what I'm really happy to see in our industry is we're going to things that are making people's lives easier, and I think we're going to more what I call consumer-friendly products, and especially in the field of, like, supplemental disinfection, um, UV systems, residential UV systems, residential ozone, residential AOP, advanced oxidative processes. So we're getting smarter, and new technology is helping us, but it's like I always tell people, you still got to keep a residual in the pool no matter what you have in there. Still got to keep a chlorine or bromine or some type of halogen residual. And But there are other things we can do now that make life so much easier and make people's maintenance of pools uh, that much easier, I think, long-term for them without a lot of negatives. Yeah. So what made you choose to go to the military? Was that something your father wanted you to do, or was that something you chose to do to, to go from, since you were growing up in the pool industry, then you went to the military, right? Actually, um, I told you I was a, kind of like a wild man <laughs> in college. Uh, oh, so, so you went to college before military then? Uh, I was actually going to college, and then uh, um, I had gotten in a little trouble at college being a, like a wild man, and and the uh, the dean of students at Arizona State University gave me a choice. And it's like, go in or else. And so I said, well, I guess I'm going into the military. And I did. So that's what led me in. At the, my sophomore year, I went to, uh, I joined the ROTC and went to Fort Knox basic training. And then because I had already went to basic training, I didn't want to go again. The following year, I got selected and I went to airborne and then ranger school. So that's what kind of changed me. And and then that and, and I said before, as I mentioned before, it did give me that sense of discipline and uh, thing. So I'm a, I'm a real believer in the military. You can take a, you can take an awful wild child and put him in the military, and if he listens and makes a desire to change, it will prove very beneficial for a young man or a young woman. And so I'm a real believer in the military. Because it seems like you have a choice in most places and most things that you do. But when you get into the military, it's like adapt or die. You don't have you don't have any sink or swim. There's no other way. Where else are you going to go unless you get a discharge? Well, and, you know, and the, the military's evolved like everything else in life. But I'm a real believer in that some people, especially young people, need a strong regimen to follow. And there's nothing like being told you will be at this spot at this time and then we will do this activity and then we will do this and then we will do this. And if you happen to be a young leader like I was a platoon leader, uh, guess what? You know, that's what you get told that you will do and this you follow the mission and you learn about accomplishing the mission and also uh, welfare of the soldiers, your troops. And it was it was good. It was good for me as a young man to learn those skills about taking care of people, about, you know, completing the mission, about, you know, having the, the, the forethought to see through something to the end and uh, how to accomplish it. Makes you think. And that's that's always a good thing. I think it helps a lot with people's confidence, too. I've seen a lot of people come back and uh, just seem a lot more confident in themselves and kind of what they can do, you know. Well, I'm, I'm a, like I say, I'm a firm believer in it. So, 
for me, the military was very beneficial. Is it for everybody? No. But then, you know, there are different paths in life for many people. And But for me, it was the path at the time that I think put me on the right track to being a, a better person. So, um, you know. So do you think that camaraderie and that, you know, your fellow brother that helped you kind of get that mentality of wanting to help people? Because you seem to really care about helping people, helping the industry and helping people get better. Do you think that maybe had a little bit of the base foundation of that? I, I think part of that because all of us need, I think, mentors. Uh, all of us need someone to show us the ropes, to teach us something. And uh, whether it was my father back as a 13-year-old and other people, like my father would have people show my brother and I how to, like, dig a pool, how to shock feed a pool. Uh, so, you know, and you got to have someone show you. And I think that's important, but also to give people the concept to think for themselves and to believe uh, in what they're doing. And I know myself that I began to believe that, you know, if I worked hard enough, I could accomplish anything. So I wanted to be good at two things, and those two things were I wanted to learn everything I could about interior finishes, and I mean everything, about cement chemistry, the maturation of cement, uh, what's it susceptible to. And then the second thing was because water chemistry plus plays such a key role in the long-term durability as well as the cosmetic appearance of surfaces, uh, everything I could about water chemistry. So I began literally to teach myself everything I could about chemistry and surfaces and reading books and books and talking to people, talking, talking to some of the brightest minds in the industry. And I still do that today. I count my friends as some of the most brilliant people in our industry. And uh, one of the things I'm involved in also, for example, is the APSP, uh, Association of Pool and Spa Professionals uh, Recreational Water Quality Committee. And we have six, seven PhDs on that committee and brilliant people. And over time, the people on that committee have, uh, you know, it's been an exchange of ideas, an exchange of input and everything from microbiology to um, subjects. Uh, we have uh, PhDs in chemistry, um, microbiology. So, you get some really brilliant minds to talk to. And then what's interesting is that uh, there are several of us that are from the field. I call it, we have several people from IPSA, uh, Terry Snow, Rich Gallo, my, myself. I'm an IPSA member as well as an NBC member. But so it takes this perfect blend of what I call the rocket scientists and the guys in the field, but it makes a great extraordinary committee. And brilliant people, but I constantly learn from these people. And in actuality, I think the, the, the brilliant PhD types that are on our committee actually learn from the people in the field. So it's a great exchange of what I call, you know, almost like academia and real world. And it's a, it's a great marriage. It's, in, my, in my opinion, it's one of the most productive committees in APSP. We release new documents like the fact sheet on borates was uh, a recent example. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we look at something and how is that product being used in the field or is it a benefit to the industry? Is it something that can be beneficial to people in our industry? So those are the kind of documents that we release and produce. Nice. Well, we believe, you know, if you're not learning, then you're not growing. So we right. want to, so that's the point of the podcast, it's the point of, us building relationships within the industry, 
we want to be able to learn as much as we can and then hopefully people can learn stuff from us and you know i think it's what you're saying with the rocket scientists and the people in the field is a very important relationship that sometimes doesn't get enough push on it i think because they sometimes come out with these standards like you say and these it should work this way and this is how it works that's it but if you're out here in arizona you know you know that some of those standards don't really work here so right. <laughs> you got to understand that side of it too well that's why our committee has said the ardor the APSPRWQ recreational water quality is such a great committee because we have as i said our chairperson is a gentleman dr joseph loreno a brilliant guy we've got dr jim egan from lamont the test kit manufacturer we have another chemist from taylor uh jody o'grady who's a senior executive with uh, Taylor Technologies. So we get, you know, awesome input from the people that live, breathe, and make the actual products that we use for, for example, water testing, Mm -hmm. but also the products themselves. Uh, We have people from Lanza. So we have chemical engineers. We have this, uh, it's the most extraordinary group of people. And I am very, very proud of being on that committee. Thank you for doing that. I'm sure it helps all of us, and we appreciate all you guys right. in the communities for sure. Anything else you want to touch base on your your beginnings? No, other than you know, a lot of hard work, a lot of time spent. But you know, growing up in the business, I've seen the business change a lot, and we are the business today is so much more. <clears throat> the technology in our business has improved dramatically. And people can't understand that, but it has. I mean, I look at systems that work off of smartphone apps. I see the use of smartphones to calculate is the water balance, as an example. I look at the technology that goes into some of the products that we use. So we are getting better and smarter as an industry. And that's a very positive thing to see. And what's the ultimate benefit is to the consumer, because... You know, we're giving a consumer, I think, a better product than we've ever given them before. Uh, I, let's talk about surfaces. We now have things like Poslin polymer modified surfaces. We call them in the MPC in our eighth edition, ninth edition tech manual. We call them high performance durability finishes. These these surfaces are made to be extremely durable. They're made to be resistant to chemical flux, to normal chemical fluctuations that happen in a pool. And so they, we put modifiers in them, such as polymers, and then we also put a thing called poslins, which are mineral admixtures that we put in surfaces to make them much more resistant. And I am, I'm quoted all over the country as people ask me, and I tell them, putting in traditional plaster in 2018 is like putting an 8-track in a brand-new Lexus. <laughs> and yet people do it every day, and I look at them and go, why would you would you think about putting an eight track and that's a, a way that I date myself because I say this in classes and uh, young millennial students will go, Mister Garrett, what's an eight track? <laughs> that's how you know you're old is when people go, what's an eight track? Yeah. So anyway, you know, it, but it's just showing that you know we have gotten smarter, we have gotten better, uh, we now understand more about chemistry than just. The time when I was growing up with my father, uh, things and everything from um, proper ways to balance pools, you know, uh, different, like I said, different sanitizers. We also know 
uh, about things such as borates that we're looking at again. Uh, things, certain things, people are beginning to understand the role of these major things. But also, uh, there's still always a resistance to change. That's one thing that, if I had to say what was the one negative side about our industry, is I think pretty much any industry is people fight change in our industry. And instead of embracing it like they should, they resist, they resist, they resist, and they are saying, no, I don't need to learn that. I don't need to try this new thing. And I go, what have you got to lose by trying this new thing if it makes your life better and if you save money? I'll give you an example. You're servicing pools. You put some on borates, and you see because it functions as a buffer system, and you save less acid. You can run lower chlorine levels, as an example. And all of a sudden, you're saving a tremendous amount of money uh, which makes your business more profitable, why would you not want to know about that? Why would you not want to know how to become more profitable, which is going to do what? Enable you to provide a better standard of living for your family, for your children. What's wrong with that? That's why don't resist. Sometimes look at it. Now, if it doesn't work, and I like what you said earlier, that some things that people come up with, they really don't work very well in Arizona. Because people don't understand what it's like to go through summers at 112, 115 degrees, 3 to 4% humidity. Nah, that doesn't apply to most people's world, if you will. Uh, let's take like Northern California, Sacramento. They get high heat, but they don't have heat like 115. Right. Things happen at 115, and then water temperatures get over 90. That's uh, very few places in the country to have those extremes. Yeah, our water definitely stays in the 90s for several months sometimes so (laughs) right well before we come into water chemistry you you know what what we try to do on the podcast is educate through stories we appreciate you sharing your story there um but we are always trying to spread positivity and one of the things we really try to avoid is the negativity in the industry right um we you know we are part of several facebook groups and different things where we, we talked about it before you haven't really heard the podcast so i'll kind of briefly talk about it but we see on there every day you know someone will post a picture of asking for help and you know they'll get tore up to pieces because they did something wrong and it's like man i I just wanted to you know i've only been in the industry a few months or a year and i i only know how to do these certain things i just wanted to ask for some help and you know it's somebody just tells you bashes i'm like they never were in that position you know we don't really like that or try to promote that we really want people to understand and see like everybody was at that point at some point in their life you know where you didn't you didn't know how to do something you're you know back when your father taught you or everybody in the industry somebody taught you how to do that so right. only promote that that growth and that positivity and you shared a story earlier with us about right. you know always always taking that looking out for the little guy and never know what they're gonna become you don't know, my best story, story. With us again <laughs> sure it's it's my best story so this was back in the 80s, and I went on a job site. This at the time, it was the National Spa and Pool Institute. We would run job sites here in Phoenix, and I went out with a gentleman who just uh, recently passed away. Uh, it was a great asset to our industry here in Phoenix. His name was Monty Rollins. So him and I made on this job. We had to go look at this situation with an acid wash that went wrong, and we got brought in through NSPI. 
And at that time, before the state agency, the registrar of contracts would go out, they would ask for our involvement to render an impartial third-party opinion about what's going on. So does that mean that if somebody, that somebody was suing somebody over something or something? Not necessarily suing, but there was an issue, there was a challenge. So in this particular case, at that time, I was with Shasta Pools here in Phoenix, and uh, I went out with a gentleman. Monty was with a company called Paddock Pools. And so we went out and we met on this job site, and it was this young service kid guy. And, you know, the guy, my heart was touched by this guy. All he owned was like a Datsun pickup truck, a pole, a brush, a net, and two-in-one test kit. <laughs> and the first inclination that the, the pool was messed up big time and was to start, you know, kind of going after him for, you know, like, Really like going, you know, hey, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do this? Are you aware of this? Are you aware of this? And instead, Monty and I, and it's my best story about Monty and also this individual, that uh, we decided, well, let's offer to help. Hey, let us help you. Let us show you how to do this better. Let us talk to you. Let us, you know, guide you a little bit so that you don't ever do this again and you stay out of trouble. And I always tell people, so we did, and that, that young man uh, liked our help very much. He liked my help extremely much because I was uh, extremely kind of like, I use the word gentle with him, <laughs> which sometimes goes contrary to my nature. And so he never forgot. He never forgot that. And that person is was Tim Murphy, who is the owner of Presidential Pools, biggest pool builder in the state of Arizona. Maybe you've heard of him. <laughs> yeah, maybe some of you have heard of him. He never forgot. That's I mean, an he awesome just brought story. the story. He brought the story up. I just was up in Vegas at the International Expo, and uh, I had won a uh, I won an APSP Fellow Award, and we were standing there, and there was about two hundred people gathered around when they were giving me this award, and he's telling this story to people about me. So that's a perfect example of always be nice to the little guy, because you don't know who he will be. Or she will be. Well, it's pretty crazy to think that that, I mean, not to speak for him, but that could have had a huge impact on why he became who he became. Because I know that there's been people, if we didn't have step in our life, I mean, we were always networking and talking to different people. But, you know, Michael Dennis from X Pools, I'm not sure how things would have been with our service and repair business if he hadn't been a mentor to, you know, talk to us about the way he did things and the way, um, he used to do things and it messed up and how he changed it. So I think there's a, you know, being nice to people, you never know what's going to happen because if you guys hadn't run into him, could have ran into somebody extremely negative and it could have went a whole other direction. Right. So that's pretty cool. Well, guys, it's real simple to, to beat somebody down, especially if you've been around for a while and you know more than that person, whatever. That's easy to do. And, you know, I, I, and that's one of the things as you get older, you have to caution yourself against is to, to always remind yourself that, you know, helping people is the better of the two virtues in terms of beating somebody down, disparaging, trashing somebody, always just negative, negative, negative. And, you know, uh, I think part of that comes with age. I've mellowed a little bit, uh, a lot over time. But so our industry is actually quite small and, you get to, I meet now the grandchildren of people that I have helped over time and taught classes. And I mean, I get these grandchildren come up to me and go, hey, my dad and my granddad said, come talk to you about this. I have this problem. 
and maybe you can help me because they said that you know you've been doing this a real long time and you might be able to help me yeah. with some insights and problem solving that's really cool and i mean for all of you listening if you are a bully knock it off nobody i mean seriously though nobody remembers a bully you know if you're just super negative your family doesn't like it people around you don't like it nobody wants to be around you because you pull that crap around me personally like you're out you know what i mean i'm not giving you any advice we're not talking about anything we're not doing anything like you're done because life is too short to be treating people like that you can either help them if they're not learning from that just move on say you know what man i've tried to help you but it doesn't seem like you know you're wanting to listen to what i have to say seems like you might have to learn the hard way which is on your own and if that's the case, not to be a jerk about it, but I feel like some people either feel like they're being cool or they just, it's built in them to bully people and just say certain things. But that's not how we evolve as an industry by breaking people down. We're never going to get anywhere like that. If you even, if anybody cares about that. Well, my biggest problem is I travel so much going across the country, teaching seminars all across the country and I get lots of phone calls every day, and sometimes I can't get to as many people as I'd like. Like when I was the director of technical services for the National Plaster Council, I would take as many as 1,100 calls a year. Now think about that. Wow. That's a lot of phone calls. I keep a phone log because the board of directors would require that I turn in a phone log on every person I talk to. And that would be sometimes in some busy months, two, 300 people a month. Do the math. That's a lot of people. Did I get to everybody? No. Did I make everybody happy? No. But one thing about it is I, I try to help them. And to this day, I'm, you know, I'm still involved with the MPC. I, I'm on committees and stuff like that. But now my focus is in trying to help more through uh, water chemistry education and a new way of looking at pools, a new way of looking at water and making things simple for people with a format that's going to be a lot easier and then thus enable people to. And my partner, Bob Lowry, who most people know is the writer of the IPSA Basic and Intermediate Man, most prolific author in our industry. Uh, we're sitting around a couple years ago just talking to each other, and we go, you know what, we're both getting older, and we're not, you know, we're at that point in life where maybe we need to start, you know, doing things a little different and trying to get people's attention that, Maybe there is a better way to do things. And that's why we started the Pool Chemistry Training Institute, to get people to look at taking care of pools differently in a more cost-effective manner and that type of thing. And based on, you know, my almost 50 years' experience and Bob's almost 50 years' experience, between the two of us, we have almost 100 years' experience in the pool industry. So pretty amazing to find two people that have been around that long, but we have been. And Bob, you know, a lot of people know Bob. He was the editor of Service Industry News. He was the developer of that magazine uh, on leisure chemical. Learned all, all, you know, owned all kind of businesses. And it's just something though between our background, mine principally in the world of surfaces, and his in the world of chemical, we thought it was a great marriage for us to sort of come together and to do this thing at a latter point in our lives. And you know, we're both happy doing it question i just don't want to forget to ask it do you have any suggestions for people that so there's so many opinions in the mm -hmm. industry you can go on the internet you can go talk to johnny one truck you can go talk to this manufacturer you can right. talk to this builder 
Do you have any suggestions for people that when they come across an issue with either water chemistry or plumbing or, you know, some type of building issue, what do you think are the best places to go for answers for certain things? Because I know this was such a huge struggle for us in the beginning because it was like we would ask this person and we would ask that person and it was the answers would always change. And, you know, especially when we talk to people that have been in the industry for so long, because I'm sure even as much as you know, you're still keeping your eyes open and learning new things. One of the things that I would tell people, and I'll give you an example today about uh, our new associate in our office, his name is Gideon. And how he uses the internet to, he can do amazing things on the computer and by watching YouTube videos and looks up things. Like he made the certificates for our company off of watching YouTube videos and internet information. I was just flabbergasted because that would have not been my first go-to place. Uh, because of, I think, my age, I, I look to more about who I always call when I have a question or an issue or a concern to people that I respect the most. And you show people that have a lot of wisdom in a specific arena. I'll give you an example. Like if it's something that has to do with, say, EPA registration on chemicals and stuff like that, I look to certain people that have actually had the responsibility to work with and deal with the EPA. And how they view, like, for example, reentry levels on chlorine and things of that nature. Very, very controversial topic right now in our industry about reentry levels and the acceptable level of cyanuric acid to chlorine. And so I talk to, to give the best insights for myself to the brightest minds in the industry, like the RWQ chairman, Dr. Lorino, Dr. Ellen Meyer with Lanza. I talk to people of that nature because these people are brilliant. I mean, they're, <laughs> I use the term scary brilliant. They're scary brilliant on certain things, but those are the people I go to. So if you have a question on a certain issue, my recommendation is go to someone that's well-respected. You call enough people and you get, you know, like who would you consider the best expert on this particular field? And you call up people and you get that same name three, four times, guess what? That's the person I would probably talk to. There's a lot of good information that are out there through, uh, for example, trade groups like IPSA. Uh, I always tell people that the two best manuals on chemistry are the basic training manual and the intermediate training manual from IPSA. These are the two greatest books. I... And here I am, I would be teaching an NPC startup class as an example. And the books that we teach from are these books. They're not NPC books, they're IPSA books. Why? Because the quality of what's written in these books is so fantastic that I wanted to give the student, number one, discussion from a great resource, but also something they could take home with them and keep that they can read and look up and use later on. Remember I said earlier that I like to read, so I was a big reader. I still am, and that's why I say call and ask. Say, is there anything in writing on that? Is there anything that's defined on that? I'll give you an example if you want to know about surfaces. The MPC produces a thing called their technical manual, and their technical manual is this fantastic document that talks about just about everything you'd want to know about plaster surfaces or other type surfaces. And that would include things like 
what is the right level of, for example, calcium chloride, what's the right level of water-cement ratio, what's, what is a polymer, what's a poslin, uh, you know, on and on and on. So go to the, to the documents that are considered the premier document in that related field. If it's chemistry, I would say the IPSA basic and intermediate manuals by my partner in the Pool Chemistry Training Institute, Bob Lowry, both, both, both of those books. And those books have been around. They've stood the test of time. They're fantastic documents. And people just don't know what great information is in there. This goes right to your point, Greg. I'll give you an example of a very common one that I get. So every 4th of July, major Labor Days, whenever we have a four-day weekend, I, when, when I was the director of technical services, I would get this phone call. And this would be after the weekend. Mr. Garrett, you know, I, I, was, I got your number from the NPC. Here's what happened. Uh, I got my pool plastered right before the 4th of July weekend. Very common, right? And I had a party that Saturday. So they plastered my pool on Wednesday. I had a party on Saturday for 50 children. Okay. So what's going on? What's the problem? How can I help? Well, Mr. Garrett, my pool is they had to do a rush startup on it and get everything ready for the party. And now my brand new black surface, and it could be black pebble, black hydrazo, it doesn't matter. I've heard all that thing, is now blotchy white. Can you help me? I said, give me the name of the person who did the startup and got the pool ready for you. And they do. And in many cases, I'll know them. And I call them up and I'll say, okay, tell me what happened. Well, Greg, you know, the pool didn't get filled. It was plastered late Wednesday afternoon, filled Thursday. I went out there and uh, I had to do a hot start on it to get the pool ready for Saturday. So I did about a, a quick 24-hour uh, hot start. I went one gallon of acid for 2,000 gallons of pool water. Uh, once the pool was filled, got the equipment running, uh, shut it off, did the hot start to remove the plaster dust, the residue. Uh, and then balance it up and put chlorine in it. So come Wednesday or Saturday at 8 o'clock, the pool would be ready. I said, okay, well, well, tell me what you put in there. Where's the pool at? And they would tell me, and, I, and they would say, okay, Greg. Uh, you know, and I said, okay, I have a feeling I know what happened. And they go, what? I said, you know, you're a member of Ipsa. And they go, yeah. And I said, turn to page 176. It's the page entitled uh, Incompatible Chemicals. I said, so let me guess. You did the hot start. You balanced it with soda ash, right, to bring it up, sodium carbonate. Yeah, that's exactly what I did to get it balanced up was I did the hot start to get rid of the plaster dust. And I go, right. And I said, and because you live in, uh, let's say, Van Nuys, California, where the calcium out of the tap level is 14 now in Van Nuys, California. 14, one four. The absolute drop dead minimum by all standards is 150. And I said, so you put calcium chloride in there to bring the calcium level up, right, to get the pool balance. Well, yeah, that's exactly what I did. And then I tell them, read page 176 and call me back. So they'd call me back, they'd read it, and they go, well, that explains why the pool turned blotchy white. I put in two incompatible chemicals, and they formed a white precipitate that made the surface look all blotchy. That's how books can be such a great resource. So when you want to know how to, to get help with a problem, Look first to what documents or uh, references are available to help you. And that is a great reference. And if you've never seen that, 
I mean, this is why trade organizations can be so valuable because people would would call me and I would explain that to them and they would have said, I had never heard of that. And I would tell them, incompatible chemicals. You put soda ash and calcium chloride in a pool together uh, within hours of each other, even six hours, you're going to get a white precipitate. And guess what? They sometimes didn't want to believe me, but when they would open up the book that they actually own, and you know what they tell me over and over again, Greg and Tyler? Greg, I never even knew that was in there. And I would tell them, well, it is in there, and that's why those books can be such a great resource of reference. I like the way it's written. And it's it's a great book, and, and the new one that Bob wrote for our our company, the Pool Chemistry uh, Pool Certification for Residential Pools, it follows in that same line. It's easy to read, a lot of color, and it's got the same sections in it. I'll give you text another. is bigger, too. Yeah, and it's just something. I'll give you another common example. I get this call. Greg, what are the white snowflakes in the bottom of my pool? Right? And I'd go, yeah. And I, I must have answered this one about 100 times a year. <laughs> and I go, okay, so you're an IPSA member? Turn to, uh, and I would tell him, turn to page 173 in the intermediate manual. And I I'm believe. That page. <laughs> this, guy, this guy knows the exact page numbers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> If it's not on 73, it's on 174. You see about what are the white snow blue? Migrating purple. No, that's copper sudden you're right. Yeah, right there. White flakes in the salt pool? Yeah, what page? 174. 174. See, I'm getting old. My memory's <laughs> slipping. I was off a page. One, one yeah. Off. It's yeah. like church. Flip your, uh, flip your manuals to page 174. <laughs> flip your Bibles to this page. But it explains what are the white flakes in the pool. So, Greg, to your question about where to seek advice and help, Go to a well-respected resource. Call someone like myself. What I do, it's not it's simplistic to give an answer. You, you know, it's that old uh, adage. You mentioned the Bible. You know, is it easier to give them fish or to teach them how to be fishermen? I'd rather teach you how to be a fisherman. I'd rather teach you how you can use these books to answer every single question you may have about either a surface or chemistry issue. And isn't that the better thing to do? Not just give them a short snippet answer, but I'll tell you the difference. A lot of people, remember, I have four millennial children. They want instant answers. You know, Dad, what is this? I go, no. Let me tell you where to look it up, and you can read it and research it. And those are as in two examples of great resources that are definitive, that will give you the insights into what you need to know, and they explain it to the nth degree such that you can read it and avoid that problem in the future. That's right. that's why books are everything to me. Yeah, and I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, would you suggest people almost like questioning people that are even above them? I mean, even if you're a pool technician and you think that maybe your leader, your manager, the owner is doing something that isn't correct, and do you think it's right to go and kind of figure it out on your own? Well, I think that... Because I think that's the problem is a lot of people think like, that doesn't seem right. And they just do it because that's what they're told to do. And then they they have bad habits. It's all about habits. Because once you form these habits, regardless of if they're good or bad, you just stay in that mindset and you just, you don't go anywhere from there. And it takes a while 
um, for someone to come around and be like, dude, you're doing that all wrong. Who showed you that? And it's like, um, so-and-so, like, don't listen to them. Well, Greg and Tyler, I can tell you, I think it's the job of youth to always question the elderly, the older. Uh, that's just the nature of being young and questioning people older than you. But also, I think part of the responsibility of being younger is to be able to take the wisdom that an older person has learned over time, just like me. I don't just tell you an answer. I'll give you a page and you can read the answer. I'll give you a source that's a definitive source, and then you can learn. It's okay that you want to question it. It's okay. That's I think that's a natural state of, of being a human and growing from young to older is you want to question, at least if you have that natural state of you're an inquisitive type person, you're asking yourself, is this really the best way? I love students like that. But you need to also be able to understand that if you take what you read and can apply it in the field, like, you know, like is it really if you mix bike, if you mix uh, sodium carbonate, as an example, calcium chloride together, do you always get like a, a white precipitate? Yeah, try it. And then, you know, you may have to re acid wash the pool, but guess what? You'll never repeat that mistake again. Does right. it come off? Yeah, it does. It'll clean up. <laughs> so, and, you know, it's not a forever kind of thing, but so I tell people that, you know, if you understand, I, I, I can tell, I've been doing this for so long, I can tell story after story after story, like, I looked at a pool and people didn't understand what carbonate alkalinity is. And carbonate alkalinity is the only kind of alkalinity that can be used to calculate water balance. And we calculate water balance using what we call the saturation index or the LSI, Langier Saturation Index, developed by Wilfred Langier in 1936, modified in 46. This is what we use primarily as an index in our industry to look at is water balance or is it in a scaling mode or an etching mode, right? So one of the things that people don't understand is this key role of what we call carbonate alkalinity. Well, one of the things that we use in pool is stabilized chlorine, trichlorochlorine. We've talked about this earlier, and then dichlor. Uh, both have cyanuric acid in them. Well, over time, uh, in, 19, in 1995, the Chemical Treatment and Process Committee of NSPI released a fact sheet. Let's call it an information bulletin. And it said that for every one pound of tabs you put in a pool, that from the reaction with the, the alkalinity in the water, the bicarbonate, you produce 0.74 pounds of salt, sodium chloride, and 0.64 pounds of sodium cyanurate. So guess what? You use tabs over time, the cyanuric acid or stabilizer level goes up, 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 up up to the point where it becomes, it starts having producing deleterious effects on surfaces. Why? Because the cyanuric gets elevated, you have to subtract a portion of it from your tested alkalinity to determine what is your carbonate alkalinity. Because it's only carbonate alkalinity that can be used to calculate water balance, not tested alkalinity. Now, Taylor, as an example, Taylor test kits just put back in the cyanuric acid adjustment, the total alkalinity, and it is now table in in their new booklet. But one thing fantastic about their booklet that it's not just cyanuric acid or cyanurates that uh, can create this uh, difference in tested versus carbonate alkalinity, but now they have a new table M which talks about how to adjust for borate content. 
since sports are gaining in popularity again. So this is why you have to understand what is carbonate alkalinity. So let me tell you a famous story. So I'm in, I'm, I'm looking at a commercial pool in Portland, Oregon, and the stabilizer level was about 210 ppm. How did we ascertain that? By doing multiple dilutions. What Taylor says and other test kit manufacturers say, if the level's over 80, you must do multiple dilutions until you get the level under 80. Then you multiply by the sum of the parts. So we had to do two parts tap water, one part pool water. So we multiplied 70 times 3. The cyanuric acid level was 210. Now the tested alkalinity in that pool was 70. So 70 minus 70 is what? Zero. Yeah, zero carbonate alkalinity in that pool. Well, this pool was so bad that the stainless steel handrails were pitting and they had holes in them. Wow. They had holes in them. And uh, so I met, there was about 20 people there, and they're like going, well, you know, I go, well, that's because you have zero carbonate alkalinity. I said, that's why your stainless steel handrails are pitting and everything else. And they happen to have a tailored kit there with the booklet in it. And they go, we think you're you're full of BS. And I don't mm-hmm. mean beautiful things. <laughs> uh, so they go, and I said, well, do you mind if I borrow your test kit booklet? I go, I happen to notice that your whole staff uses these and I told him and I go just like this and I go turn to page 13 in your booklet <laughs> turn to page 13 on the section alkalinity and I said I want you to read about they explained that alkalinity is a buffer system and about got down to right here and then what does it say that low alkalinity especially carbonate alkalinity will do it not only will attack surfaces but also will attack stainless steel ladders <laughs> and I said sir so don't trust me but this is your own test kit in your own booklet and sir right there you want to know why you got pinholes eaten in your stainless steel handrails and your ladders seriously holes eaten in them here's why and the reason I was there because they were concerned about the plaster yet they had epoxy grout and I take dental picks and I showed them even the epoxy grout because the water was so corrosive was literally falling apart. I said, so your epoxy grout is deteriorating. You've got stainless steel handrails that have pinholes in them. They're dissolving. I said, you've got a carbonate alkalinity level of zero. And I said, your water's in a super corrosive state. And I said, you don't want to believe me, and I understand that's fine. But will you not believe in the very test kit that you put confidence in and you purchase? So this is why, Greg, back to your question, Greg and Tyler, this is why... Books contain phenomenal power because if you know what's in these books, then you can help people to guide them in the right direction because sometimes what people don't do today in the world of instant gratification when it comes to knowledge, they don't want to take the time to read. And if you were to ask me what's our number one problem in the pool industry in 2018, people are not taking the time to read good literature or information that exists to help them to avoid problems. Like understanding what carbonate alkalinity is, like understanding about the LSI, like understanding about, you know, that. And, and they would say, I've never heard this before. They'd say, I don't, I don't understand this carbonate alkalinity thing. And so we, we show them and we say there are also, if you don't want to read, at least take the time to get the right kind of app that can help you calculate that. And we show them the right apps to help them. So I think that part of my job that I try and do across the United States 
is to help people to understand that the very literature or books that they have can be wonderfully insightful if you just take the time to learn what's in them. That's, that's a really good point. Um, I guess what, when I'm listening to you talk about that and what was difficult for us at the very beginning, which is why we ended up starting the podcast, was it, that information, I don't think, maybe I'm just ignorant to it, but isn't really out there for you to find very well. You know, at least because to be honest, I didn't know what that was until three years into our service company. So, you know, the carbon alkalinity that took three years for someone to tell me that. Right. So, you know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's very, very cool that this podcast is definitely going to help a lot of people, I think, to understand that you can find these certain books and these, these, in these places, because we, I mean, nobody's ever told me that for what color in this industry, you know what I mean? And I think that's very common is that people just don't know where to look. Well, Kyle, I'll give you an example. So in February this year, I taught a startup certification class at the MPC conference in San Diego. I had 45 people in my startup class. And I asked at the beginning class, how many of you understand about the difference between total alkalinity or tested alkalinity and carbonate alkalinity? Do you know how many hands went up out of 45 people? Two. That meant 43 people in that class. And by the way, the average age experience or full, full experience in that class was 10 years. And two out of 45 knew about carbonate alkalinity. And, and if you were to ask me, and I'm asked this question all the time, what are the two, what I call most common issues that, in my opinion, can lead to damages in surfaces? It's real simple. Not understanding the dangers of overstabilization, you know, cyanuric acid in excess of 100 parts per million, and then what it does to calculating the carbonate alkalinity level, and then number two is, so that's number one, hands down. And number two is low car calcium hardness out of the source water, the tap water, you used to fill the pool and people never check it. And those two things, like I just, I just did a, a class, a pool chemistry certification class over in uh, Canoga Park, California. I had 27 people there. And... The guys in the audience were telling me about changes in the water in that area. And remember, uh, the major highways, if you will, are the 405 and the 101. It's like where the fires are happening in Malibu right now. It's like over the hill from that is the 101 freeway that runs along to Thousand Oaks all the way up to... Um, Same. Yeah, exactly. I'm pretty familiar with that. Yeah. Up there. Right. And... So they, these guys, two of the guys in the class were telling me about recent changes in water. We talked about source water. Sherman Oaks, you know where Sherman Oaks is, and Van Ives. And we're, we're talking right at the intersection of the 405 and the 101. And they're talking about, Rick, the calcium and all the tap is now 14. One, four PPM. I mentioned that earlier. Complete opposite of us. Yeah, I mean, no. <laughs> but see, you think that, Greg. The entire west side of Phoenix, the water comes in between 30 and 50 ppm. Actually, I can't even say that anymore because we've been, on the startups, we've been testing more water coming out of tap and it's actually right. much lower than, see, brings me back to this because a lot of people said for so long that the water was so hard coming out of tap and I just listened to it and I believed it until right. I started testing it myself and I was like, it's not. It's between, you know, 20 and 50 it's nowhere near what people were saying it was. And that was like the first, you know, three to five tested. So, well, 
Greg, I got something for you because people always go that hear me talk, right? Whether it's at the show or like the Pentair Education Summit, which Pentair did a great job. You know, I ran 140 people through two four-hour classes, 140 people. And I stress low calcium fill, right? The whole west side of Phoenix is 30 to 50 ppm range. And people don't know that because they just don't take the time to ever check it, even though everything says. So I get people always arguing with me, and they go, well, you know, Greg, you know, that 30 to 50 stuff is just, you know, it's like, I go, no, it's very relevant because if you're doing startups, regardless of the startup method, and they go, well, Greg, the MPC is the only one that stresses that. And I go, I couldn't help but notice, but you're an IPSA member, right? They go, yeah. I said, open up that intermediate manual and turn to page 68. And about halfway down that page, Bob wrote on page 68, the title of the page is Pull Startup Saturation Index Concerns. He has a sentence there, and you can read what it says. And, and Go ahead, Tyler. Read what it says. Where at? I'm sorry. Yeah, right there. Read in black. Right the there. first two water conditions to look at are calcium hardness and total alkalinity. In bold. Okay, keep reading it. Bold. What, keep reading the next sentence. Remember that balancing the pool water requires a minimum calcium hardness of 150 ppm and preferably between 200 and 400 ppm. Thank you, Todd. Guys, that's not the MPC. That's the IPSA Intermediate Training Manual saying the same thing we do. And guess what? Everyone that's in the know, this is Greg, back to your point about who do you trust, who do you believe. Look for commonality. Look for what is the preponderance of professional opinion of, of well-respected people? Bob Lowry, the most famous author in our industry, says the same exact thing that the MPC says. Get that water initially up to 150 and ideally between 2 to 4, and that's exactly what we say. And so it's not an MPC thing. It's not an IPSA thing. It's an industry thing. Do the right thing. This is a time-tested idea to keep you from having predicaments, problems, and surfaces. So that's, that's why, and, and guys, you can see that I'm a lover of books. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I teach out these books. I know the pages pretty well, much by heart. Yeah, you're making us read you the guys books. Can't, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys can't see it, but he has like 17 books on the table. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what, though? But I use them all because why? Because they help people. And sometimes people want credibility. Like you mentioned that page, you know, 173 about the, what are the purple crystals? That's copper cyanurate. I try to explain that to homeowners, and they look at me like, well, I think you're pulling that out of your rear end, Mr. Garrett. And then I open up the book, and I go, well, ma'am, read here. And then all of a sudden, I see their whole demeanor change because they go, holy macro, this is something that's a well-documented phenomenon. It's much so that it's been written about, explained, and I understand it from reading it. So it's not just you having an opinion about some craziness. This is something that has been thought out, researched, and written about. Yeah, and I think everybody's thought process is different, but I think it would be really cool in the future if something like this was put into like a phone app that you could actually search things and you could give us notifications when there's an update to the book because of research that had been done. Because I'll tell you right now, just me personally, this is not very convenient while being in the field facing problems. And it's 110 degrees. I'm not going to be like, going on okay my book's in the truck i'm super hot dripping sweat got lube on my hands you know what i mean i want to run to the truck and like figure this out yeah that's probably the thing you should do because there's 
there's nothing else. You know what I mean? I can't call you every two seconds. Right. You know what I mean? You probably right. just tell me to go look on page whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, the answer's on page 130. You're right. welcome. Right. Click. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, it would be cool, like, in the future if there was, like, an app put together that was, you know, this whole entire thing by chapters. So, you know, when there's an update, just like on your phone, you get the updates and it tells you what updates were added to the book or what updates were added to the software. That way you'd be like, Oh, this was added in. This is a thing now. Um, and that way maybe you could search, you know, obviously this probably has an index, but, um, that'd be really cool. Well, let me tell you something about my partner, Bob Lowry. He's probably one of the most gifted people it comes to developing apps. I, this is a true story. I'll give you the phone number of a gentleman named Rich Gallo. He just, uh, he, the APSP just announced top 50 service companies in the U.S. He made the top 20. Oh, wow. So he's a good service company. Uh, he's an IPSA member, MPC member. So anyway, so we're going down to Canoga Park. He sent all six of his people to the pool chemistry certification class for residential pools. This guy's big believer in education. I got him on the phone. Bob is sitting next to me in the truck. We're driving down to Canoga Park from Sacramento. We just got done teaching a class there. And he goes, man, you know what? I'm trying to figure out how much to drain out of a pool. And Bob starts talking to him vis-a-vis the squawk box, if you will, in my Chevy pickup truck. And he goes, well, there's a formula. I can give you this formula. It's actually pretty simple, you know. And so anyway, and Rich said to Bob exactly what you said. I wish there was an app on this and guess what that night bob calls me at nine o'clock at night so he's in his room i'm in my hotel room where uh i think somewhere in agora hills at a hampton inn and he calls me he goes greg you gotta come down to my room i go uh, bob it's like uh nine thirty at night you know what's going on he goes i i've designed the app he designed an app and it's now available on Google Play and iTunes, and I'll show you today, called Pool Water Drain Calculator. You put in the desired level, and this is just something he did in three hours at night. <laughs> you put in, let's say that your Sinaric is, say, 500, and you want to go down to 50, which is our target Sinaric acid level. So you put in where you're at, where you want to go, the gallonage of the pool, right, which you've already calculated, and it will tell you what percent to drain down to the inch. And it asks you what's in tap water. So it'll make that as an allowance. For example, if your calcium is A at 600 and you know that you want to get down to 300, mid-range of the ideal level, calcium r then you put in the tap water, say it was 30. It will calculate what percent, what fraction of the pool you need to drain and tell you of your average depth. So it does it all for you. Brand new. This is brand new. Just uh-huh. came out with it. $3 on uh, Google Play or iTunes. Wow. Pools drain water calculator. Have, you, have you used it? Yes, I teach from it now. I show people and they're all blown away. <laughs> you know, I mean, so, so Greg, your thing about I wish there was an app. Guess what? That's one of the things we're doing is producing more and more apps. Because one of the things that we have realized, and and you said it best, what I have in my head, what Bob has in his his head, we can't take it with us, okay? When we pass away, that knowledge is going to go with us. So wouldn't there be some preferred embodiment, some method that we could leave behind for people to help them? 
and I believe in apps. I'm I'm a believer and guys, you know. Yeah. I told you I'm I was kind of resistant to technology. I mean, I told you I didn't even know what a podcast was until you guys, you know, <laughs> called me. Come to a podcast. What a cast? Is that fishing or what? what we cast? <laughs> yeah, I'm down for some fishing. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it's that kind of thing. So is it an app that will one day be produced? Absolutely. And it might be something that we might produce where you can call and say, hey, I've got purple stains in my pool. What is that? And the app will punch up exactly what's written on page 173 in the intermediate manual. That That is called copper cyanurate and it occurs da 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 and give you a little readout. You put in one of the white snowflakes in my pool. You probably have an electrolytic salt cell, and that's da-da-da-da-da. You write in, now my pool just turned blotchy white, da-da-da-da-da, and here are the possibilities. Because that's why, I mean, but in the meantime, don't forget, they are, that information is available in books. I mean, and again, and I got to stress this, IPSA, their, their books, the basic and intermediate manual, two best books in the industry. I've been teaching from, from, from them for years since they first came out, and that's what made me form a relationship or partnership with Bob Lowry because I go, this guy's an incredible writer, and he's sharp as a cookie. And you don't have to agree with everything he says, and people don't, but at least it makes you think. And then guess what? What I always recommend, Greg and Tyler, take it out in the field and try it. And if it works for you, then implement it into your you know, your daily work-a-day, you know, you know, how you do your business. Right. If it doesn't work, discard it. But you got to try new things, and that's how you become more profitable. That's how you do better. And I think that's super cool that you guys are thinking ahead and just keeping up with the times and being progressive because I think there's a lot of, you know, people out there, especially they've been in the industry for a while, they're a little bit older that don't want to do that because it's like, no, don't be lazy. Read the book. And it's like, don't be defensive. It's just, it's 2018. You know what I mean? When you started off doing things, the people 40 to 60 years before you really didn't have anything. And you want to go back to that, you know, to the stone age, you know what I mean? So it's like, whatever we can do to, you know, make the pool safer, clear, and, um, easier for you know the technicians builders whoever to come out and do things like why not and what do you got to lose even with like the uv systems we don't know everything about them but i think it's almost honorable that somebody would invest so much money into trying even from the very beginning and there's been you know huge strides um towards right. those units but it's not like you did it for any other reason. You know, you're trying to make a pool. We're all trying to make a pool as safe as possible. And we're all just trying to keep up. It's just getting that information uh, to one another seems to be probably the biggest issue. Um, because people don't understand, like if you're a pool service company and you have, you know, 200 pools, 500 pools, a thousand pools, they're all different. They'll have different filters, have different pumps. It's not like you just go in and like, Oh, your pump's, a year old, we're going to put our pump on it, the one that we want, and the filtration system that we want. We're going to resurface it the way we like to do it, and we're going to redo the plumbing. Every pool's different. You have tons of builders, and, you know, they're nowhere to be found on there. I mean, some pools stamp, you know, stamp their name on some of these pools, but it's just, it's completely different from the service side because there's an insane amount of changes. And and it's difficult to keep up, but but that's why one of the things... Um, the, the APSP uh, Association of Spawn Pool Professionals just published top 50 service companies, right? 
And I knew a bunch of awesome service guys. And I called them, and I specifically I called three. And I am proud to say that all three people, and I told them, apply. Your company is so good. You're so progressive. You believe in education so much. And I'm happy to say to you that all three of the companies that I said to apply made it to the top 50 across the country. And there's a lot of service guys out there. And these guys, but they're all uh, Adam Morley with Paradise Pools and Spas out of Torrance, California, the guy who just had us over to teach classes. Uh, His company, he was ranked in the top five for customer service. Rich Gallo, and I think uh, Adam's company was number 19. Rich Gallo, uh, Pure Swim out of... um, there's a, a little town up there. Yeah, anyway, going up the five over the Grapevine Pass, you go through a city. So, and he got, uh, you know, he he made it top 20. A gentleman I recommended out of Florida, he made it in the top 50. Um, so That is really impressive because it is extreme. I find it extremely difficult to, you know, train your team, educate your team, and keep them motivated and, you know, find the right people to do the job. That is something... I have a lot of respect for companies that can do that because it takes time. That is not something that's done overnight. If you truly want the best team possible, it's a constant having to be there and educate. And, um, yeah, so anytime well, we hear I'll anything you, like that. I'll tell you why I like these, these three companies. Because, the, for example, one of the gentlemen, his name is uh, Ken Scott out of Florida. He's the guy that brought me into Florida to talk at his uh, IPSA Region 11 to come down to a startup certification. He heard me speak at a startup class, invited me to come give classes. He believes that much in education. Rich Gallo, the same way. Uh, Adam Morley and Jason Briggs in Paradise Pools and Spas, the same way. These guys are huge believers in education. They do constant continuing education for their people. They look at new things. They, just like you were saying about, where do we go? And guess what? All three of these companies, they call me. They have a problem. They don't know something. They call me, and and usually the conversation will go, Greg, where can I find this in the books that I have? Where is this discussed in detail, and what's the remedy? So that's where books can be so valuable, but also relationships in our industry can be so valuable. Because I I know a lot of people, and just even, uh, for example, how you guys heard about me and whatever. You went to one of my classes, but um, relationships. You know, and then you start trusting people and the people that you look to that are open-minded and are progressive about education and about helping people. Well, those are the ones that you tend to ask for their guidance and for them to mentor to you a little bit. And if you listen, I think usually most people will benefit. I think, you know, we I can't speak for all the young people, but I think that we and several other companies that that we're friends with now through this and other platforms, you know, we strive for that knowledge that you guys have, you know, and you said earlier, you, you realize you can't take it with you. And, you know, that's, that's really impressive that you even think of that, to be honest, because most people don't, most people don't think that way. They don't care that they have the knowledge and it's going to pass with them. Um, you know, but we, at least like I speak for our company and us, we strive for that, knowledge and information that's how it has to continue otherwise this industry it won't continue because we won't have that knowledge you know we can have that the young bodies and the hustle and you know but if we don't have the knowledge it's, it doesn't work so. right well that's why that's why if in my class sir, i handed out that article 
and the article was dated uh, 1993, and I was a much younger man, and here I am writing about the level of dissatisfaction I had with the existing chemical standards, that they weren't working, that they didn't work, and they could even following those things or adhering to them, as I wrote in the article, could lead to problems. Well, here it is 25 years later, and I'm still doing the same thing. So it's been a lifetime passion, a passion that I feel to this day that I am happy to help people to look at things in a different way because maybe what we have, there might be a better way of looking at it, and that's what we got to be willing to look at. What's going on, everybody? This episode is brought to you by Jobber. Jobber is by far our favorite tool for collecting deposits, payments, scheduling customer jobs, and assigning tasks to a specific person on our team. If you're looking for a better way to stay organized, this is it. I don't even know how we did things before Jobber. If you have any questions, their customer service team is out of this world. Jobber is so cool that they are hooking up all of our listeners with a free 14-day trial. Just visit getjobber.com backslash pool chasers. That's getjobber.com backslash pool chasers. Try it out. We promise you won't be disappointed. Well, let's jump into some water cam issues real quick. I mean, we talked about sure. it quite a bit, but one thing I do want to tell you, you keep talking about borates. So let's jump into borates right. and can you explain for people who don't know what they are, what borates are and, and how we can utilize them now? Sure. Well, most people know that in swimming pools, that there are two primary buffer systems that people are very familiar with. And buffer system number one is our alkalinity. And at normal pool pHs, 7.2, 7.8, the dominant species in the water is the bicarbonate iron. Uh, people that, you know, want to increase the alkalinity, they put in sodium bicarbonate. They're familiar with bicarbonates from that perspective that that is what makes up the alkalinity in the pool water. So it is a buffering system to resist rapid pHs from dropping, but you put acid in the pool, and, and if you have a proper alkalinity level, it doesn't plummet. So buffer system number one is total alkalinity, the alkalinity. Buffer system number two is the cyanuric acid, the cyanurates in the water. The cyanurates in the water uh, will actually help stabilize the pH and keep it from dropping down. Buffer system number three that we are talking about more and more and this is not a new concept, it was actually uh, came out about 25 years ago, are the use of borates, and there's three main types. There's boric acid, which is um, sort of like um, a very, it's, it's not as common as some of the other products, but it's something that can be used in pools. And then also borax, and borax is going back to the days of Ronald Reagan before he was president, before he was governor, he used to advertise on TV borax 20 mil wagon team. And borax is sodium tetraborate decahydrate. Sodium tetraborate decahydrate. We put it in laundry. But the third common, most common borate compound, our boric acid compound, is called sodium tetraborate pentahydrate. And that's the one that people are starting to take an interest again in. You've got several manufacturers starting to introduce people again to the use of borates, boric acid. Um, two manufacturers I can talk about that come to, to mind immediately would be like Lanza has a product called Ultima Endure, and they call it a water conditioner. And then there's Haviland has a product that is Protein Supreme 2. So those are two examples of two different manufacturers that are encouraging people to put borates in pool water. Now, that's not new. 
uh, in the Intermediate Manual Chapter 3, when Bob wrote that and revised it in 2017, he increased the level of borate discussion to a whole chapter. Uh, he's written, uh, I call it fact sheets on borates. And so borates are becoming more and more of a factor. But what they do is they can be used with salt pools. And everyone that ever owned a salt pool knows that the biggest challenge in a salt pool, especially living in a hot climate like Arizona, is that you have to run a higher power setting to keep the you know algae and to keep the pool safe, microorganism-wise. So you run a higher power setting, but when you run a higher power setting, what happens to the pH? Goes up, up, up. Absolutely correct. So by putting in borates in a salt pool, as an example, it will help stabilize that pH. It'll still go up, but it won't go up as fast. And there's no problem with putting borates in the water in, for example, a salt pool, because it is a buffer system to create the to, or to facilitate the pH from climbing so rapidly. Like in a salt pool, where you're putting uh, basically, uh, sodium hypochlorite and sodium hydroxide in the water, both of which have a high pH. So borates are an amazing thing from pH control. Number two, they make the water feel incredibly salt. Um, you know, people talk about salt pools, the reason they like them is they get this, that sort of soft, silky feel. You put a borate in a pool, you have never felt a pool like that. I mean, if you know what borax does to your clothes, if you wash your clothes in them, it makes them feel soft. You swim in a borate pool, it feels incredibly soft. And I know this sounds like a lot of hokey, but they make the water sparkle and shimmer. They look fantastic, uh, very inviting. And, and, and I've been around long enough. I hate when people say, oh, this product will make the water, quote, sparkle. Borates actually make the water sparkle and shimmer. They're amazing. So that's two. There's, and the only downside is don't eat it. Don't eat it, and, uh, you know, if you have a dog that drinks out of the pool, then it may not be apropos for you to put boards in the pool. But that's one of the things that I, I tell people to look at more and more is the use of borates. And, again, the three families, boric acid, borax, uh, which is sodium tetraborate decahydrate, just means 10 moles of water, and in the third category, sodium tetraborate pentahydrate, 5 moles. And uh, these products are becoming more and more popular again. They're in the new Pool Chemistry for Residential Pools book. They're in the IPSA Intermediate Manual. Uh, a lot of people have literature on borates now. And, and proof of that, off. proof of that is, thank you, Tyler. <laughs> they're not only our Table M now in the back of the Taylor book on how to adjust the alkalinity content to calculate the saturation index, but the RWQ, the committee I'm on, just recently released a boric acid borate fact sheet. Why? Why is all this talk? Because people are starting to see the viability of this product in pool water and what it can do for you. Just like you had mentioned, Greg, about UV. UV is a big player. UV and ozone, supplemental disinfection systems. When you see the major companies starting to invest money in the creation of these products, Hayward, and the AOP system, Pentair, and the BioShield UV system, and you got some of the major players like here in the Valley, like Shasta and Blue Wave and others putting those systems in. And they put them in. Why? Because the homeowners can run lower chlorine levels. Well, then guess what? You also can put borate in that pool with that thing. It's like the cat's meow. It's like the ultimate pool. If you would have said, Greg, design my ultimate uh, water fill experience. I put uh, secondary disinfection like ozone or else UV 
like the Pentair BioShield or else I'd put, uh, I'd put borate in the water, run the chlorine about 0.5 to 1 ppm. That's your residual you got to maintain. And then the water will feel incredibly soft and it'll be relatively microorganism free. Think about it. UV and ozone do amazing things. Proof of that is on commercial pools that they, you know, they call them secondary disinfection systems on high-risk venues. That's kiddie pools, right? What do they say put on it? UV or ozone systems because you need that additional killing ability that ozone and UV can provide, okay? Very cool. I had never heard much about Boris until I took your class, so I thought it'd be cool for you to share on here. No, Tyler, I appreciate that. It, it is something that people need to be more and more. You're going to start seeing more and more information about it. And so we try to be on the cutting edge. And just like when people always ask me, like at the class, Tyler, I don't know if you remember those guys mm-hmm. were going, Greg, how do I test this? Well, you got, and this is another proof of their gain in popularity. So you've got several companies making borate test strips. And it's a dip and read strip. And those are Lamont. Lamont makes a great borate test strip. Aquacheck makes a borate test strip. And Taylor is also releasing theirs. They should be out. In about two weeks, the 1st of December. So Taylor is coming out with a borate test strip. Taylor test kit, Taylor Technologies. So they're there. There are other technologies that people like, uh, a common one that I get asked all the time is like, well, you know, Greg got an ozone, but you can't check. Well, there's a company called ITS out of the Carolinas that makes ozone test strips, and people don't know this. Yeah, so this is how, why education is so important. If nothing else, come and learn what's new. You know, come and learn what is new. And that's what we try to do in our pool chemistry certification for residential pools. Teach people about not only what's the best way to keep a pool, but also what's new. And because you want to be on the cutting edge of technology. You want to learn about new apps and what they can do. And Greg, yes, I will call Bob today after we get done with this and say, <laughs> okay, Bob, here's your next app I need you to make. Well, we're yeah, if we need to put you in a hotel room for the night, <laughs> you can call me at 9 o'clock at night if you want me to. If you want to. <laughs> yeah, the, guy, the guy is so amazing. I mean, he's such a character. And, you know, and I tell the story because it's a true story. And if you were to call Rich Gallo at Pure Swim and you say, is this a true story? And, and Bob saw him up at Vegas at the International Expo and he goes, look, look, Rich, look what I did. Look at because of your idea, he came up with that app in three hours. That's insane. And it's insane, and it works. That's the beauty of it. Yeah. That's wow. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, he's going to hear it. He lives in Peru, right? Bob yeah, in Peru. he lives in Peru. <laughs> well, he lives in the U.S. Sort of. and Peru. Yeah. I mean, you know, but he spent, his wife is from Peru, so he goes to Peru. But he lives here also in the U.S., so he splits his time. Oh, nice. All right, Greg. So one of your expertise is in surfaces. Can you kind of explain the evolution of surfaces, where they began to where they are now? Sure. Um, one of the things I said earlier, that traditional plaster, which is what was being used when I first started with my father back in 1969, was nothing more than white cement and marble aggregate. That was the sand, if you will. And over time, what has happened is sanitizers changed. People began to realize that you could make a better mousetrap. So one of the first things that the industry did was look at going to harder aggregates. And to that end, in 1984, a 3M company out of the Minneapolis-St. Paul area came out with synthetic color quartz. And that was to give the pool more pop. In other words, you can put blue quartz, red quartz, green quartz, make the pool 
have a lot more things. The only other way to, to create a change was to add a pigment. So there's been a lot of evolution in our services and aggregate changes when the first one. Uh, in 1986, uh, 87 timeframe, somewhere around there, um, Pebble Technologies in Scottsdale uh, came into being. And so now we had the introduction of Pebble surfaces. And I'll never forget, you know, you talk about people and their worst mistakes or things that they ever did that they wish they hadn't have said. Yeah. Well, I can remember I was at Shasta Pools at the time, and I looked at my first Pebble surface, and I go, this thing is well from the corn cob. This will never catch on. <laughs> Man, was I ever wrong. <laughs> right. About 67% of all surfaces in Phoenix now are Pebble surfaces of either micro, mini, or, or you know, the regular size. So, boy, was I ever wrong. They could not only did they catch on, but they became the dom dominant surface here in the greater Phoenix metropolitan area. So that was like the next thing. And then other aggregates have come along to include natural quartz products. Uh, so you have mixtures of synthetic quartz, natural quartz, also some glass aggregates, glass beads to give it a little pop, uh, very smooth glass beads. Uh, and so we do change in the world of cement. Uh, the three types of cements, the latest being what we call uh, type uh, 1157, which is general purpose white cement, which to make it more compliant with emissions, they take out about anywhere from 15 to 18% of the cement and they put in crushed limestone in it. You still get the same performance, a little bit different feel, but it is a new type of cement. It first came out in about 2011. So that's called a type ASTM C1157 general purpose white cement. Uh, there are other things, in, even in pigments. Uh, traditional pigments were um, organic pigments, things like carbon black or thalo blues. Now most pigments today are blended both inorganic and organic. They would take something like in the world of blue, they'll mix thalo blue, which is an organic pigment, and they'll mix it with something like cobalt, which is so you get the intensity of the thallow, but the durability of the cobalt. And the cobalt, usually the inorganic pigments are mineral-based. So in the world of black, you would mix carbon black within, for intensity of color with something like, um, say, iron oxide. And the iron oxide, very light, stable, very steadfast in the pool. So... You can start out with a real intense black color, but over time we call it a fade back position to the iron oxide. So our technology is evolving, evolving quite a bit. And the most important one is in the field of poslin modifiers. Poslins are mineral admixtures that uh, they react with cement. Whenever you mix cement with water and aggregate, 27, 24 to 27% of what you form is this thing called calcium hydroxide. And calcium hydroxide, if you will, is sort of the weak link in anything made out of cement. So when you put poslins in, they take that weakest component, calcium hydroxide, and they convert it chemically to one of two things, either to a much harder, more durable compound called calcium silicate hydrate, or to a compound called calcium uh, aluminosilicate hydrate. And we abbreviate it CSH or CASH, like cash. So we now have a way to make the weakest component into the strongest component, and that's through the use of poslins. All of your major manufacturers in today's world are incorporating poslins and also polymers into their mix designs. 
and it goes into traditional plaster site surfaces, to quartz surfaces, to pebble surfaces. All the major manufacturers are putting polymer and polyvinyl modifiers in the mix today. And if you're a consumer and you're looking, or even a service pro, uh, recommending that the pool be redone, one of your customers' pools, you know, take a few minutes, learn about polyvinyl and polymer modified surfaces, talk to Find a plaster company and develop a relationship with them and recommend that they go with one of the new high-end products because guess what? You get so much greater long-term durability and aesthetics out of them that it's well worth the investment and the time energy on your part to learn about them. And in, uh, in the MPC 8th edition tech manual, it's in section uh, 6.0, talks about high-performance durable finishes. That's an actual new section that was written into the 8th edition. So... We do keep making improvements in the evolution. There is an evolution in our industry. Stay up with it. Come to, to education like the NPC startup class. Uh, I'm teaching, uh, for example, this uh, December 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th, we're having an NPC education summit. I'm teaching an NPC startup certification class. I'm teaching a, a diagnosing or forensics class. I'm teaching a pool chemistry certification class. And then last we were teaching a class on how to write reports all down in Tempe, just uh, south of here at uh, the Tempe near Tempe Marketplace. And so it's, it's you know, you can register online for people to the, at the NPC website. But so people always, you know, say, you know, is there a fee? Well, I tell people it's the best money you'll ever spend. And I can tell you person after person whose lives have literally been changed by what they've learned in our education classes. And that's what it's really all about. You know, you pay for education because one of the things that we do, for example, is we give every student hundreds of dollars worth of books. And you, and you guys have already learned I'm a book lover <laughs> and I'm a book maniac. Right. And to have those books so that you can give them and take them home. And yes, Greg, maybe Study one them. day we will develop an app <laughs> uh, I love I love talking to millennials. Remember, I have millennial children, so I get the same thing from them. You know, yeah. Dad. You know, you got to get hip. You got to get current. You know. <laughs> so awesome. yeah, that's great. Um, can you maybe share with us a few common mistakes people make with pool services? Uh, from which end, installation end, or are the, the service end, the startup end? Which which perspective? What do you think would be about most beneficial to learn? Um, well, since uh, since your audience is a lot of service techs as well as builders and modelers, I would tell people learn about start a proper startup because why? And this was written about in November. There's a very prominent uh, periodical in our industry called Aqua Magazine. I was interviewed by the senior editor Eric Kerman, who's a friend of mine, also about changes in source water and the source water in America keeps constantly changing. I talked about earlier about. Sherman Oaks and Van Nuys with 14 out of the tap. I was, I, I talked about Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon has a water district called the Bull Run Water District. The calcium out of the tap in Portland, Oregon, seven. <laughs> That's the calcium. Wow. Not 7D, seven. Guess what the alkalinity is? 10. Wow. So you got seven calcium hardness range, 10 alkalinity. It's some of the most aggressive pool water I've ever seen in the United States. People say, oh, well, that's Portland. No, it's everywhere. Seattle, Washington, 20 and 20. Uh, 20 calcium, 20 alkalinity. Uh, 
Boise, Idaho, 20 ppm calcium. Uh, Atlanta, Georgia, 20 to 30 ppm calcium on the tap. You got up in New England, New York, you got 60 ppm calcium, but you got iron problems. So every place in the United States has a definitive issue, if you will, with source water. So the biggest mistake is get into the habit of testing source water. The MPC says that. The Ipsos books that Bob Lowry wrote say that. Uh, APSP test, says test source water. Test the source water because it's constantly changing. That's number one. Number two, understand, as we've explained earlier, about carbonate alkalinity. And remember, it is only carbonate alkalinity, not tested alkalinity, that can be used to calculate saturation index. That's super important. And you've got to be able to understand that if the cyanuric acid in that pool is over 80, you have to do a dilution. Some people look at me and go, what do you mean dilution? I go, you have to mix tap water with pool water. And if the number is over 80, and you keep doing that until the number is under 80. So, you know, you start out one part pool water, one part tap water. Now, here's something brand new for you. You ready for this? This is something that is a mind blower that (laughs) just is something new that I've learned in the last couple months. The EPA is now allowing in certain types of water districts, like normally rural or certain smaller water companies, they use the trichlorochlorine to sanitize their domestic water. So guess what comes out in your tap water now? Cyanuric acid (laughs) is now in your tap water in certain... Water districts, and this is the first. I was like, I've been teaching for 15 years. There is no CYA in tap water. Now there legally can be in certain water districts. Wow. So heads up. This is why you always have to test source water, always understand about the role of cyanuric acid. That's why in the pool chemistry for residential program, we teach cyanuric acid, keep it at 50, between 30 and 50. That is the ideal range by APSP. It's also the ideal range by IPSA. It's the ideal range by just about everybody. But yet every day, Tyler, I find cyanuric acid levels in the field, 200, 300, 400 ppm. Proof of that is, I'll give you an example. One of the things that I carry with me is a Lamont cyanuric acid test strip, right? And that test strip used to only test from 0 to 300 ppm. Do you know what the strip goes up to now? 500. 500. Why? Because that's what is being encountered in the field, and the need was there to have a strip that could read higher cyanuric acid levels. 500 ppm. Remember, maximum is 100. And it not only affects the balance of the water, but also it affects how the chlorine does its job in the pool. When your cyanuric is that high, Guess what? Your killing efficacy of your chlorine is greatly reduced, and you're going to have problems. That's one of the things that we talk about in the book is that you can have people call me all the time and go, Greg, I have, I know I have between 2 and 4 ppm chlorine in the pool, yet I'm still getting algae. First words out of my mouth, what is your stabilizer level? And they go, oh, I think it's 100. I go, don't think. <laughs> if it's 100, do a dilution. Make sure you know exactly. And then they call me back and go, Greg, I had to do multiple dilutions. My cyanuric is actually, say, 210. I go, okay, so 210. Now you understand why your chlorine may not work so well. Right. Okay? Mm-hmm. Because it does reduce the killing efficacy of your chlorine. So it really does pay to, to understand these key concepts. 
So if you were to say, and especially about protecting surfaces, test source water would be number one. And number two, understand about carbonate alkalinity. You do those two things, I would say 95% of the field problems I encountered would be diminished wow. significantly. The water would be safer. It's a win-win for the consumer. It's a win-win for... And so to that end, one of the things that we advocate is look at alternative and go back to what I first learned to use to treat water with with my father, liquid chlorine and calcium hypochlorite. And there's been great advances in both. And calcium hypochlorite, they now make a thing called NSTs, non-stabilized tabs. And it's these non-stabilized tabs, they have no stabilizer in them. And guess what? So you can use them. They won't fit in a conventional feeder. They're octagonal octagonal in shape. They look like a stop sign. They won't fit in a conventional three-inch tab feeder. And guess what? You can use those. They will work in the skimmer. And so erosion flow rate across the top of them breaks them down. They break down at relatively the same speed or pace as a trichlor tab, but no buildup of stabilizer. You can put them in the skimmer. It won't harm the heaters. Yeah. That's, remember, they got a high pH. Remember the pH of calcium hypochlorite is 11.7, 11.8. Trichlor, 2.8 to 3.0. One's acidic, and cal hypo is just the opposite. Okay? Great question. Yeah. So can you explain maybe what can happen to the surface when those levels are that low? Right. Well, one of the things that, for example, like I tell people, and remember, books are power, Right. So if you open up, like, for example, the Taylor Teskett booklet, the page 12, left-hand left side, what does it say under low calcium? Which page? Read, uh, page 12, left-hand side, under problems associated with low calcium. Item number one says etching of plaster. Do you see that? I do. And item number three, and for those of you who have all towels and spas, dissolution of grout. So... Guys, it's just not either IPSA, they say the same thing, NPC says the same thing, APSB says the same thing, low calcium will etch plaster. Because why? The water is undersaturated for calcium to balance itself. What does it do? It says it's like a starving dog. If a dog is starved, you know, people go, oh, I don't understand why my dog went into the trash. Well, when's the last time you fed the dog? Well, I hadn't fed it for three days. Well, that's why it's tearing <laughs> through your trash. It wants to satisfy itself by doing what? Getting food from wherever it can get it. Well, if water is undersaturated for calcium, it will balance itself by pulling from the two major sources of calcium, which are what? The plaster and the grout, right? But what people don't understand is that low calcium is also important for protecting, protecting things like heaters and equipment. Because on the inside of a heat exchanger, if you have slight positive indices and you got a sufficient calcium level, you get a thin veneer of calcium uh, that plates out on the inside of a heat exchanger, as an example. Okay? And you may say, Greg, do you have a reference on that? Yes, I do. APSP Service Tech Manual, 4th edition, page 329, says right in there, it's always better to have slight positive indices because if you have slight positive indices, you're not going to break down that passivation zone afforded by calcium, sufficient calcium in the heat exchanger. Your heaters are going to last longer. So low calcium affects not just plaster, grout, but also equipment. It's all about everything in your mind coming together on all this water chemistry stuff 
because it doesn't just affect one thing, it affects everything. And this is why knowing all this stuff, but but now you can see Tyler a little bit more about why it's important to have these great references. Because you may forget, but if you remember page 12, you'll go, okay, I remember page 12, low calcium, etches, plaster, dissolves, grout, and Greg was saying it affects mental. Page 13 about alkalinity. Low carbonate alkalinity can lead to what? Pitting of stainless steel handrails. It goes on and on. That's how books are important. I'll give you another example. So let's say you had a pool with low calcium, right? In this book, let's say that you're an old dinosaur like myself and you didn't have an app, full chem <laughs> dose calculator, but you could look in that book, Table J, Calcium Hardness Increaser, in the very back of the thing. And what does it say? To increase calcium hardness using calcium chloride, 77% purity. Do you see that? Yes. Yeah, right there. So all you got to know is the gallonage, and it will actually show you how many pounds of calcium hardness increase or calcium chloride to put in there. But let's say that you go down to a distributor, right, Greg and Tyler? And they don't got no 77% purity, right? This is where knowing books helps. So turn to page 52 in that book. So you turn to page 52, and they have a page called Adjusting Different Strength Chemicals. Is that what it says at the top? Yes, sir. Yeah, okay. Look halfway down. So it says they don't got no 77% calcium chloride, but they got 94%. So you take, you looked up the chart, right? Table J said, let's say 20,000 gallon pool. You wanted to increase it by 100 ppm. That would be 24 pounds. So what you do is they go, they don't have no 77. So, but you know, page 52 and you go 77 divided by what they do have, 94% purity times 24, which is the poundage on the chart. And that number is somewhere around 19.6 pounds. All of that out of those books. And, you know, and I like what Greg said earlier. Well, you don't want to carry one of these big stinking books with him. But I tell you what, if you got your test kits, you got this little book right here, Greg. So then what's your excuse? Or you can buy an app like the Pool Kim Dose Calculator by Lowry, Bob, my partner. And guess what? You just put in there the gallonage the desire to increase, the one you want to use, and bam, it'll calculate and tell you to the ounce exactly how much to put in. That's awesome. Or if you really want to be awesome, remember what else you can do. You can memorize all those charts. No, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding, guys. I'm yeah. just kidding. I'm just kidding. Go, uh, most so people are not You can be like, yeah, flip to page 76. Yeah, we can feel like... <laughs> <laughs> So then... Speaking of calcium, what what are exactly are calcium nodules? Uh, calcium nodules are calcium carbonate. Now, hotly debated things. If you guys have watched, I do have a video on YouTube. Under you go to the mpconline.org website, look under the YouTube videos. I have a, a, a four or five part video that explains about nodules. We're getting the NPC is getting ready ready to release another one on nodules because there's been a lot of theories, but a lot of people, some people, not a lot. Say that, oh, whenever you have a nodule, you have a delamination. Do you know where I see more nodules than anything? If you watch my videos, all tail pools and spawns. There is no plaster. Yeah. And they got big old honking nodules. Did you see the pictures on the video? Yeah. Big old honking 50 cent size pieces. There is no plaster. What there are is micro fissures and small pinholes where you can leach calcium, get subsequent precipitation, and then you can start a crystalline growth and it grows and expands. 
One of the things that we're releasing, and it'll probably be out within about 30 days, is a new video on nodules that Alan Smith out of Orange, California, is producing in concert with Randy Beard. This is an MPC video on showing that there are no delaminations in many cases on nodules. Some do, but most don't. So look forward. That's something new coming out. By the way, we're do the MPC is doing a lot of things. We're working right now on developing an online NPC startup class. So you let's say that you live in some place in Nebraska where you're not always available to go fly to an NPC startup class. Well, how'd you like to get certified and learn everything? So I just recently spent a day under videotape taping how to become an NPC startup technician on videotape. And it's a new learning technique where you take it, there's a question and answer series. So this is something the NPC is doing recently. Great. What's a lot of new a, stuff. What's a videotape? Pardon me? What's a videotape? Uh, <laughs> am I showing my age? I'm just kidding. Because <laughs> the A track. So. Okay. Do you record it on a videotape and then mail it yeah. to everybody? <laughs> yeah, I'm just face. messing with you. Yeah, you are messing with me. My face is already red. Okay. okay, let me remind you. I'm older. I'm probably older than your father. Okay? How, how do you do? You have to take the test in person or something, or you can no. Pass you can the take test. it online. They're working on that program. Great, great question. It's something that a, a lady named Yvette Gemmon out of San Diego is working with our executive director Jeff Henderson, and they are developing a brand new way to take the program uh, from the comfort of your living room or your office or wherever you want to sit with your computer. Get all the training without having to, to go to some place and actually attend. Now, I'm old school. I like listening to good instructors. That's just me. But I teach the class, but I teach it on videotape or on, I don't know what, digital, digital, <laughs> digital. format. There you go. <laughs> Brian, thanks for uh, busting my chops, guys. It's okay. You'll be calling me one day with a problem, and I'll go, That's hey, true. it's on a video. You give it back. Yeah. <laughs> Should be at your house in a couple weeks. Yeah. You know, you, you, you said, though, you are you are old school. You like sitting there with the, with the teachers and listening, and so do we sometimes. But one of the things I think we found difficult running a day-to-day -day business is trying to find two days to go down and take a CPO class or your class or – you know, it's very difficult to take that time away from, right. you know, especially because it's usually held during the weekdays and it's usually held the whole day. So, I mean, it's very difficult for us to take a two days out of our busy time to go down there and do it. So, if you have an online platform, right. it's going to be awesome. We can take it when we're at home at night or, you know, at different times where you can actually have the time to do it. Guys, the two most precious commodities that are going to be in our world very near future, number one is water. Even scarcer than oil is water. And number two is time. time. People don't have time, and I understand that. And that's why time for some people, between the commitments to your family, you both said that you have children. Hey, believe me, as a father of four, I know. You know, you get hard stress. You're working, you got your own business, you're working 60 hours a week, you got to spend time with your, your family, your children, your, your significant others, your spouses, and guess what? The thing you don't have time to do is go sit somewhere for eight hours. Right. That's why video. Um, excuse me. You can me, keep saying video. Digital format is still video. <laughs> digital format is going to be, I think, more and more. I mean, I'm also a member of the American Concrete Institute. I sit on Committee Five Twenty Four. I'm one of the voting members of that committee, and that committee is titled Plastering. And guess what? 
ACI does webinars. They do these techniques where they use the digital format to teach people. And I, I've done I've done a Skype class with sixty five people sitting in a room in Canada. It was amazing. That's awesome. And and I you know one thing I could see the audience and they were asking me questions and. I was interacting with 65 people in the classroom in Canada. It was amazing. We just went live on Instagram, and somebody said you were the goodwill hunting of the pool industry. That's a, that's a compliment if you've ever seen goodwill hunting. Yes, I know the guy. He's a crazy rebel that was crazy smart. But Yeah, I know the guy. You know, my thing of it is, is that people usually, the first time they ever hear me speak is that I have a really good memory if you haven't picked them up all of them yet. So I'm able to remember almost every page I ever read, you know, and I can quote it just about by heart and tell you where it's at and what it says. And that helps me a lot with people because if you have the same set of books that I own, Greg and Tyler, then I can refer you to that book and I can get you assistance very quickly, right? Like if you were to say, hey, Greg, I got, you know, my pool's very discolored. Uh, you know, I have large area discoloration. Uh, how do I, what's, what's the accepted means to address large area discoloration? And I go, you got our, our eighth edition tech manual, turn to section 752. And in section 752, it does talk about how to address what's acceptable remedy for addressing large area discoloration. And it's got a whole segment there on what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. Like it actually talks about a thing called torching. And I actually have a class, one of my 15 classes I teach across the country is called Pool Torching 101. And I teach that class and I show people, but more importantly, it gives them validation that what I'm saying to them, I'm not just pull, pulling out of my rear end, but there is an actual cited reference on doing that. And that's super critical for people to understand. Like everything you say, you always want to say, you know, who does, who believes in that? Who says that? Where is that found? Give me a reference. You know, like I tell young students, don't ever hesitate to ask me for a reference or a page or anything like that. Because if I'm doing my job, I'll be able to give you one to help you. And that's what it's all about, right, Greg? Tyler? Yes, it's about helping people. Well, guess what? You know, I could keep it all in here, but that's not going to do a new person like yourself or anyone else starting out. And it's for me to help people, and I want to help them. Helping people, I think, is the the best feeling you can have when they actually listen to what you say, and they they apply it in life or in their business, right. and they and they do something with it. I mean, it's really unfortunate when you um, invest time into somebody and it goes one ear and out the other. Um, and it's you you need to know right away that you know, okay, I tried, no more. Um, but it's the best feeling, I think, to really help people out and, you know, they better themselves, you know, right. because of it. Because you never know. I think there's a lot of things that we know that we get to share with people. And there's a crazy ton of stuff that other people know that we don't and we want to pick their brain on it. So, you know, as long as we just kind of go back and forth sharing information, can't ever go wrong. The best recommendation that I give for people coming into our business, never stop learning. Never stop learning. If you stop learning, I don't care how old you are. Guys, I told you my next birthday, I'll be 64. I don't quit learning. Learn yeah. something every day. You have to. And if I read something that inspires me, then guess what? Then I'm going to be just that much better and I'm going to be able to help someone that much more. So never stop learning and read. Be inquisitive. Like you said, 
That's one thing about millennials. They're inquisitive, and I, and I like that. Remember, my own children are inquisitive. My own daughter. I think I mentioned about my daughter earlier to you. My daughter is the waterborne illness coordinator for the state of Arizona. She's a microbiologist. And she just recent, recently won. I'm going to brag on. I'm going to be a proud dad here for a second. Do it. Awesome. She just recently won the Neil Lowry Award from APSP for her work on cryptosporidium in the state of Arizona because we had a horrible outbreak here. And so she has developed literature to help school children on what to do, like shower after thing, don't drink the water because, you know, I'll never forget it. She calls me and goes, Dad, turn on TV. This is a true story. She goes, turn on TV. 19 cases, kids confirmed sick at this pool. And then within months, we were up to 400 confirmed cases of crypto. And crypto is one of those microorganisms that's tough tough to kill. But if people are attentive, they're doing their job, they, you know, if you're a lifeguard, I have another daughter that was a lifeguard manager for the city of Chandler. And you don't think, you know, children, they have fecal incidents. They mess in their little, you know, training pants. They, that's just the nature of being a child. You got to learn how to respond and respond quickly to treat that water. And if you don't, kids start getting sick. And you guys are both fathers, and guess what? The last thing you want in your world is for your little baby to get sick because it swam in a pool. That wasn't safe. For sure. The last thing, yes. Yeah, trust me. So with all of that being said, do you know if there's anything on the horizon for better standards by state or something so that you almost can't do business unless you meet, you know, these requirements as far as like where chemistry is and, you know, maybe things for the builders and different things like that. Cause right. it's pretty crazy how loose things are for the industry in most States where you can pretty much just kind of do whatever. I know there are some things, but it's nothing like being where I came from a military base and OSHA's walking around 24 seven and dinging you and fining you for right. every little thing. But you know, you see anything like that in the future? Well, one of the things that was formed years ago was the Model Aquatic Health Code. The Model Aquatic Health Code is but one code. APSP has their own code. And this is a code that talks about, for example, one of the things that I do like, there's a lot of things I don't like about the Model Aquatic Health Code for commercial pools. But one of the things I do like is the fact about what the section on what they call high-risk venues. That's like kids' waiting pools. You know, the little pools that are 18 inches deep and the kids get in there and how they require now the use of secondary disinfection systems on those. In my opinion, best thing we ever did in our industry was to require those pools to either have ozone or UV systems on them so that guess what? Those little kids, being kids, you know, sometimes their little bums are not as clean as they should be. But guess what? When you have an ozone and the beauty of ozone and UV systems, it does not do anything to increase TDS in the water. Very, very kind of like a, um, a non-interference type of a compound. Ozone or UV put into that water, but it's a great secondary disinfection. And there are kill rates that apply from those things that certain, you know, devices have fantastic kill rates on both microorganisms, but they can also break down chloramine. So that's one of the things you need to learn. So, if you were to say what was the recommendation, follow the codes because the safety part of the codes, Greg and Tyler, are getting better. And I applaud the people at the Malakata Health Code for the work that they're doing for improving bather safety. Absolutely, because 
as as the father of four children, if you want to worry about your kids going to a public pool and swimming, what will protect them? Codes that are in effect and codes that are being enforced by the state board of health and by a county board of health people. So those inspectors do a fantastic job of making sure our water is safe. And part of that is cyanuric acid. They just took the level down from 100 down to 90 because they couldn't really test it right at 100. So, you know, hopefully one day, one day, my opinion is that cyanuric acid level will be down to 50. Guess what? In the state of New York right now, it's zero. Zero. You're not allowed to have any cyanuric acid in a commercial swimming pool. None. And so people understand about the negativity associated with elevated cyanuric acid. One of the things I just recently did, I was at the International Pool and Spa Expo uh, up in Las Vegas. And I think you guys were there, right? You were. Yeah. There was a class I went to on the dangers of overstabilization taught by a chemist with Lonson named Carl Lee. And it was a, it was a great class because he's talking about this issue about Lonza, I mean, excuse me, the model aquatic health code and other codes and re-entry levels and what to do in the event of uh, a fecal incident or things of that nature. So you got to understand if you have elevated cyanuric acid, guess what? If you have like a, a crypto outbreak or a fecal incident, you may wind up because the CYA level is so high, you may be required to drain the 85% of the pool, leaving 15% behind. That's what why you don't want to run elevated cyanuric acid levels. So be aware then. So that goes to your point, Greg, about are there changes that are beneficial for our industry? That's an example of one of them. Yes. The the, the forced compliance of things like secondary disinfection systems, the forced compliance at looking at elevated cyanuric acid levels, and having the state agencies, the county agencies across the country enforce that. You know, I go to commercial pools and they they you know they're having issues. And guys, I look at them issues and I go, first thing I do is I go, what's the cyanuric acid level? And they go, 300. And I look at them and go, well, that's why your chlorine's not doing squat. I said, get that dang cyanuric acid level back down to about 50. And then you're going to have a much safer bathing experience for your, your swimmers. It's the compilation of all this information has to come together. And that's why I'm a big believer in trade associations. That's why... I'm an associate member of IPSA, I'm an associate member of MPC, and I'm an associate member of APSB. I belong to those three organizations because I believe in the job they do about educating the public. Okay, along with things like blogs. Yeah, mm-hmm. you make fun of me calling the word videotape. I didn't know what a blog was until this morning, so. <laughs> I know, I'm a dinosaur, it's but okay. that's okay. It's awesome. We respect well, they, that. they've done like interviews with you, and you've been in blogs. Well, that's kind of funny. You didn't know when somebody was, they sent you probably a bunch of questions in an email and you answered them all and then they blogged about it. No, well, you know, I mean, <laughs> but, I mean it's all, I've been, been interviewed lots of times for magazines and stuff, but this is the first time I ever sat in front of a little microphone with a, with a couple of hooligans, you know. <laughs> pool hooligans. Pool hooligans. Instead of pool tapes, we'll call you pool hooligans. That's an old word out of Europe. Yeah, how were they? Well, they were hooligans, basically. Guys are crazy. But they were nice hooligans, you know, but they're hooligans. That's funny. But, you know, some things, because I am old school, and, I mean, I have low tolerance for, like, for example, I mean, the thing that just drives me insane if I go to a pool and I mention it in the class, I don't know if you're in there, and I walk in and I test the water, and the cyanuric acid is like at 500. 
And I go, what are you doing with a cyanuric acid level of 500? I mean, look, I understand about tabs. I know that I can give you the formulas all day long. One pound of tabs, you know, with reaction with the bicarb in the water produces 0.74 pounds of salt, 0.64 pounds of sodium cyanurate. I can quote the quote. But what are you doing? That tells me you're not doing the dilution. You know, and the part that troubles me, and this is why I, I like coming here to your podcast, people call themselves pros. You know, they call themselves, and I go, do you want to be an eagle or a crow? And if you're an eagle, you want to soar high. You don't want to eat roadkill for the rest of your life. And that's what pros do. And, and I like to hang with eagles, not with roadkill-eating carrion feeders, you know, like crows. So guess what? Take the time and learn your craft. That's what I tell people. Learn your craft. And that's the same whether you're a carpenter, a plumber, a janitor, whatever. I think all those are, are you know, great ways to make a, a living in an honorable trade. To put groceries on the table to feed your family, but guess what? Learn your trade. You're gonna be a janitor. Be the best thing janitor you can be. Mm-hmm. That's what I told my kids growing up. I go, I don't care what you do. I would tell them that. But whatever you do, you had better be the best at it. And that's been my own personal philosophy. That's the best advice. way to secure your job. You know, if you know the economy goes to shit or something like that, you need to go get a job somewhere. And you know the books in and out, and you genuinely get it. You're going to be I in the same my, place. I taught my son Sean. He's uh, with law enforcement for the city of Scottsdale, and I taught him. And he, when he was five years old, he'd go out in the field with me, and he would go, "Dad, I don't want to learn about how to test water and da 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 da." <laughs> and I said, "You know what? You're going to learn this." And he goes, "Why?" And I go, "Well, let's say it doesn't work out for you in your chosen job." That yeah. something happens and that you have two small children, two and six or two and five, and you got to put some groceries on the table. I said, guess what? The pool business will always provide a standard of living for you so that you can put groceries and take care of your family. Don't ever forget that. I tell all my kids that. Everyone of them knows that. There's a reason that you want to learn and perform and do well in your craft and I don't care, you know, I think, hey, I will tell you what, the pool industry's been dang good to me and my family. It's put four kids through college and, you know, provided a nice standard of living for me and my family. And I know some of the most successful service companies in America, and they, those companies do very, very well. And it's just off of servicing pools, doing repairs, uh, you know, pushing a pole, a net, testing chemicals. It's a very honorable profession and trade. And I, for one, I'm glad that they are out there doing that because, quite honestly, no disrespect to homeowners, a lot of homeowners don't want to take the time to learn how to properly do all the things that a well-trained service professional will do. And if you read the title of Bob's book, what does it say? Pool chemistry for service pros. It doesn't say pool chemistry for service pros. It says pros. And you know what? And that's what we believe in. All right, guys. Let's jump into that a little bit about your class. So yeah. So the, it's now. an eight-hour class, the pool chemistry certification class for residential pools. And in this, we start with the fundamentals. Every student gets the primary course workbook, if you will. It's a brand-new book by Bob. It's called Pool Chemistry for Residential Pools. It starts out with how to calculate gallonage, what is water, how, to, how do you figure out volume measurements and different types of of structures. 
it goes on to talk about water balance, low hardness, high hardness, things of that nature. We have a separate uh, section on the use of aeration to raise the pH and not affect the alkalinity. That's a technique we actually do a, an on-site demonstration. I'll do one for y'all today if you'd like. Uh, and then we also teach people about the use of borates. There's a separate chapter on borates. Um, we teach them uh, about the three buffer systems, alkalinity, cyanurates, and then borates, and how they work in concert with one another. We talk to them about chlorine, different types of chlorine, how one type of chlorine, what are the pros and cons on it versus another. We talk about the saturation index, the LSI. Uh, we get into that quite a bit on how to calculate it. And we also spend time with chemical apps, the apps. We, just, we talk about the four different types of apps that Bob has developed. And so we teach that. We talk about um, all the different uh, type of specific chemicals that can go into pools and what they do. We talk about new water testing techniques. Um, you know, what's new? Because, I mean, quite honestly, when I go to a class, the first thing I want to learn is, okay, I understand about alkalinity and how to test pH and, and da-da-da-da-da. What can you show me that's new? What do I need to be concerned about or what can make my life easier? Right. And you show me something and I go, wow, now that's the cat's meow. That's what I needed to know. And so that's what we do. So it's about six and a half hours of chemistry. And remember, it, this doesn't compete with the uh, the commercial programs, PPSO by APSP or CPO program. This is strictly residential pool care. And we teach from this book and also from the Pool Chemistry for Service Pros book, uh, which is Bob's handbook that he came out with in February. That one which, has over like 10,000. Yeah, 10,000 uh, right. purchases have been made of this book yeah. uh, since February of this year. Is so that we, the one we got in Long Beach? Yeah, at the, at the Western Pool and Spa Show. Mm -hmm. And so it's one of those things that hopefully um, when people hear about the program, they'll come to it. And it's a great opportunity to learn more about pool chemistry for residential pools and to get two good resources, the books. But we take the time. We do a lot of hands-on demonstration. We show you also the apps so that you guys have got to see those apps. Those apps are incredible, especially the new one the pool water drain calculator, no guesswork. Yeah. You just plug in the numbers, and then you, if you know the gallonage of the pool, and if you don't know the gallonage, we teach you how to calculate the gallonage. Then you just plug in the numbers, and you go, okay. But also we teach you how to figure out how much of a chemical to put in and other things like that. So it's like a soup to nuts kind of program for residential pool care. Oh, and it's, it's something that... Our, our desire is that by showing you some new things, like the use of aeration to raise pH, and when you get in a pickle, that people will quit being that cat chasing its proverbial tail, right. going round and round and round. We'll tell you how to break some of those old myths. It seems like you you saw a need in the industry and trying to fill right. it, which is awesome, because like, there is a lot for commercial, but not so much for residential. Tyler, stuff. you have to remember, why well, I showed you that article in that class, that I wrote in 1993 that said the current standards are not making it. So and, and the main thing in the book is that we say focus on targets. So, for example, the acceptable pH range by all standards is 7.2 to 7.8. We say Don't, that's too broad. Focus on 7.5. We say the acceptable alkalinity range 
is 60 to 180. We'll target 90. And tar by targeting 90, you can raise that up or down depending on what's happening with your pH. But by focusing on targets, guess what? Pool care gets a lot easier. We talk about borates. Put 50 ppm of boron, borate in each pool. Pool care gets easier. Don't have higher than 50 ppm cyanuric acid. That's the ideal range by APSP. It's the ideal range by IPSA. It's the ideal range by everybody. So by focusing on targets, instead of having this big kind of guesswork potpourri, all you got to do is keep the pool to those targets as best as possible. And guess what? The care becomes a lot easier and it becomes more cost effective to take care of the pool. We tell you, look at sodium hypochlorite or cowhypo instead of using tabs. Because tabs are going to do what? They're going to put a constant stream of cyanuric acid into that pool. Yeah, they're going to supply chlorine, but you got to deal with the negatives associated with the use of tabs. And that is the rising stabilizer level and also the fact that tabs are acidic and reduce alkalinity. So we cover that because guess what? The beauty of America is you get to make choices. You get to make choices. And depending on what you choose may get you in hot water or else if you do it right, you can, you can make a fantastic living and save quite a bit of money. One last little quote, and Rich Gallo, the guy I mentioned earlier from Pure Swim over in uh, California, uh, who sent all six of his employees to our class. Well, this guy, he told, he stood up, he's on the RWQ committee, he stood up and told our committee that by following the program, the program that we're teaching, that he has 238 pools on service that he was able to save a phenomenal amount of money by by narrowing it down, putting you know boards in the pools, doing a couple other things, and he said the 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 thing is just incredible what he's seen. Now let me tell you one other thing that ties right into that. One of the things that we teach in Southern California, people go, oh, you can't buy boards in California. Not true. They've been able to legally sell them ever since December 2017. Lanza has got California EPA registration. They can sell borate, sodium tetraborate pentahydrate, into California. They now have it through major distributors, PEP, uh, SCPs, MPTs. You know, they sell Lanza, Ultima, and Dor. And guess what? So you can buy borates in the state of California now. Why were you not able to buy them in California? Uh, they, they, they just had a restriction against it, yeah. But guess what? And that's even in the book that you can't buy them. Well, guess what? Now you can. So even the book is already outdated since it was written. <laughs> right. And it was just right. released in March. So, right. so you know, that's how fast the world changes in our world sometimes, Greg. Okay. So where can you, you say you're teaching in December right here at Phoenix? Are you yeah. on the other schedule? Yes, I, I have uh, November 28th and 29th. I'm in El Cajon, California. We're doing an MPC startup certification class and a pool chemistry certification class at MPT in El Cajon, California. And then also we are teaching here. I've been invited to go back east. We're working out the the final arrangements now to go all the way back to New Rochelle, New York, and teach there. Um, because the quest for knowledge by some people is pretty much everywhere you go, they want to know. And if they've heard me speak before, a lot of them kind of like my style, my teaching style. And they want to come back and get some more of that. So I always appreciate the audiences because I know it takes time away from their job to come and sit in class and learn and also to pay money to come to a class. So most upcoming to El Cajon, California, San Diego area, November 28th and 29th. 
And then also we'll be here in Phoenix, December 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th uh, with the NPC Education Summit. Uh, also, they are trying to try and get me up to uh, Las Vegas sometime in the middle of December. So I'm getting a lot of requests. It's just trying to plug in. I will also be speaking at the Atlantic City Show in uh, Atlantic City. It's called The Pool and Spa Show. And in my opinion, probably one of the best shows in the country. Have you, you guys ever been to it? We're You've got to go to that one. You've got to go to that one. That's a phenomenal, phenomenal show. Uh, biggest show, biggest audiences. Uh, my, my class size there, sometimes there are 240, 250 people. Wow. I'm teaching a forensics class there, an eight-hour forensics class on how to look at services. Uh, I'm also doing some panel discussions with the RWQ on disinfection byproducts. So the RWQ is talking there. I'm also going to be doing, I'm on a panel, uh, winterization, the effects of winterization on surfaces panel put on by NESPA, the Northeast Pool and Spa Association, the, another fantastic trade association. And I'm on that panel. There's a big, I believe, five of us talking about winterization issues and something we don't have to worry about in Phoenix is winterization. But guys in the Northeast, up north, Chicago, up in those cold countries, they winterize pools. We don't. So for those people, things happen when they winterize pools. They open them up in the spring, and they have hard crystalline deposits all over them. And so we're actually doing joint research, the NPC and NESPA. So I'm involved in a lot of things. I'm doing a lot of different talks. And I would invite those, if you want to go to a great show, go to NESPA, the Pool and Spa Show. It's January, I think, 26th to 29th in Atlantic City. Fantastic show. Then there's the NPC conference the first week of February, and there's the IPSA leadership conference at the same time frame. So a lot of good stuff. This is time of the year when people should go to, to shows and conferences and get that training. Yeah. Maybe at the Western show again? Yes. Uh, we're trying to work with them right now to possibly do the pool chemistry certification for residential pools there as a program. Nice. Okay. And also the RWQ, the Recreational Water Quality Committee, APSP, we're going to have a meeting there, and I'm sure we'll be doing some classes there also. So usually I talk under several different trade associations. Right. So when I go to a place, I don't just get to wear one, <laughs> one hat. I get to wear <laughs> multiple hats. For sure. You know? Say you're not sure where to start with this whole entire thing. Mm-hmm. You want to get some education under your belt and get some certificates. Yeah. Is there a good place on the website or something where people can kind of figure out where they should... Or maybe there's somebody they can talk to or an email or something where they can figure out yeah, where they my, can start. Greg, my number is posted on the website. And I'm like, even though I own the company, I still put my name, my phone number on every flyer. Because now I've turned my phone off, obviously, for this today. But I keep my phone on because I know that the, the power of being able to help people comes from being available to them. And one of the most common means of communication is telephonic. So... I can't always talk to everyone. I get so many phone calls sometimes. I get some days 50 phone calls a day. But I try to get to as many as I can to help them. But I still post my phone number. So you can call me or you can call Gideon, my assistant, and my wife. We put all three of our numbers on every flyer and on our website so that we're available to help people and to get them signed up for classes and when they seek more information. So... Do you accept text messages? Like if somebody just sent yeah. you a quick text message? Yes, I do accept text messages. 
Okay. I know you No, no, no. I know you got that. This man is a dinosaur look in your eyes. No. I text. I text I'll try all that for you. like to call me back. I call you back every yeah. time. I you like to call me back, not text. I don't text back, but I'll call you back. Hey, I'll yeah. trade everything I know for what you know right now. But you, you know what? I am so glad. You guys are doing a good job, and you're getting a good reputation out there, and that's why I was happy to come today. You guys keep doing what you're doing because I think, you know, it's a, it's a different age. It's a way I look at my father and uh, that he was a dinosaur. Because he was giving out two and one test kits, and I kept trying to get convince him to change. Highly resistant to change. Remember I was saying? And when Mark Hernandez, and I give him a plug, first told me about you guys, I'm going, podcast, smodcast. Who does a podcast? No one listens to that. <laughs> I, I go, no one listens because I didn't listen to him because, quite honestly, I didn't kind of grow up with them. But now, when people are going, yeah, my kids are like going, Dad, you know, podcasts are real. People listen to them. They're very popular <laughs> form of information gathering you know so and and when i started checking on you guys you guys are doing a great job i would be very happy to come back if you ever would like me to come back and help your audience uh, and maybe we can get some questions or a specific subject matter we can spend more time in specific arenas that would be awesome okay thank you so much so greg all right we you appreciate guys it. are the best Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening. We truly appreciate your time and your ear. It means the world to us that you guys take time out of your day to hang out with us in the Pool Chasers community. So we appreciate all of you. And if you have any questions, please email us at poolchasers.info at gmail.com. Please check out our Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube pages. And check out the Facebook group as well if you have not already. It's been an insane value in there. I've seen so many cool conversations. Greg and I are so proud of you guys for all you're doing in there. So thank you for all the positivity. Also, if you guys are listening to the podcast, if you could take a picture or screenshot of it and share it on your social platforms, that way we can grow this community. That would be great. You know, tag us in it so we can say thank you as well. And if you got any pictures of you wearing the Pool Chasers mixer hats or any of the other swag, it would be awesome to see you guys in it. So take a picture, tag us, and we'll try to reshare it. Also, it would mean the world to us if you guys could go to Apple iTunes, leave a review and rating for the podcast. It really helps us there so thank you again for your time and we hope you enjoyed the episode see See you out out there there, pool chasers. chasers